on. Okay. Yeah, we should probably introduce the show. I should probably introduce the show. Hi, everyone. Welcome to 12 Questions. This is Anna Valenzuela. Uh, and I'm going to do just like an off the cuff freestyle about our little clarity statement. Uh, 12 Questions, a podcast um, where uh, you don't have to be uh, clean and or sober to listen to it. Um, we're simply uh, addicts uh, and non addicts talking about recovery experience. Um, we're not affiliated with any 12 step organizations, no A's, no NA's, no um, Al Anon's, Alateens, um, you know, and all the other 350 12 step uh, fellowships out there in the world. Uh, but we are, uh, we're out here to have good conversations from a 12-step perspective. So I'm super stoked to have one of my favorite guests, one of my favorite humans on planet Earth. Back. Human. Who are we speaking with today? Hi, everybody. My name is John Graber. Uh, I am an addict. <laughs> I guess I should identify. That seems important. Yeah. I mean, you don't have to if you don't want to. No, I don't care. Yeah. I mean, that's my real name, too. You can you can find my social security number. It is. Don't, please don't do that. Uh, no, don't. But that's my that's my real name. I'm pro- <laughs> professional. I have a professional name. So I was so I was on this podcast and so much is different now. So much is different now. So you're like. So here's the thing. Here's the magical. I don't know if I even explained this the last time you were on. You just we were going to the same not great noon meeting Nooner. on Tuesdays that was. It's just at, at unit A in it, Burbank. In Burbank, <laughs> and we, so I would just like I just uh, one day you came up to me afterwards and you said, "Hey, um, not in a creepy way. I am married, um, but we should be friends." That sounds like something I would say. And you, we've become great friends. It's and, true. And you've I've gotten to meet your lovely wife and your beautiful baby. You is got coming to see to the my world. baby get born. Not, yeah. You like weren't like in the room, but like you saw her when she was very new. Very new, very new. Uh, she's my favorite baby. Uh, she's everyone's favorite baby. It's, that's like being like I like chocolate cake. Like everybody likes chocolate cake. I yeah. She she, she truly is the chocolate cake of babies. She's the best baby. And uh, so so many things have happened. And you've you've uh, you know the last time we've hung out and and you keep saying like we need to when are we going to record again? And I th- I think you're I was like all right let's fucking do it let's yeah. get it done. Well, the last time I was on. 12 questions. I think I had two, maybe two and a half years clean. Um, I'm coming up on six now. Um, Wow, it's been that long? Yeah. Damn. Um, I was still working in the same industry that I'm in now, but in a significantly different place. Um, Professionally. Um, Personally, like I was still like, you know, I mean, I was married, still married, still happily married as far as I know. Right. You're really good at being married, by the way. We're really good at fighting. I know it sounds like a weird thing. No, that's no that that makes complete sense to me. Um, because we don't actually like we get a more recently because we're very tired. We get like annoyed. Yeah, you got easily. a lot. Like this, this man has DIYed. Talk about that punk rock lifestyle. <laughs> literally bought bought a condo that was um, a haunted listing. It was horrifying. Horrifying, was... and then just got on YouTube and poured concrete, laid flooring, redid everything, repainted. Um, yeah, we re-poured concrete. Well, first we had to demo the some of the walls, right? Uh, take out uh, a closet, um, mm-hmm. rip out all the flooring because there was like a bunch of tile throughout. Um, this like awful fourteen by fourteen like stone tile. So took all that out with a hammer and uh, a crowbar, and 
That's what I should have come and helped with. Oh, oh. nah. It was like I, I was the rage of a sober alcoholic that made me get through. <laughs> I was yeah. like, fuck you, the, mom. Like, <laughs> it might have been the most manic I had ever seen you doing anything. Yes. Like, I would just come over and you just have a crazed look in your eye and a Red Bull in one hand yeah. and a saw in the other. You were describing it. You were like, you're in a fugue state. Yeah, you were in a fugue state for sure. Definitely like that's what was happening. <laughs> I, well, you know. It, it all had to get done pretty quick because in my mind I had set an unrealistic goal, but I wanted to stick to it. Um, this will also get back to Christine and I being good at fighting. I um, set a pretty unrealistic goal. So we bought, we closed on the place on March, on December 12th and we moved in uh, December 24th. It was literally <laughs> 10 minutes before midnight. Yeah. When you were completely moved in. You were, yeah, I know you were here. Yeah. You were here. You were helping us carry all of the things. You actually set up our living room before we like, while Sean and I were still pulling shit out of the truck, we came in and I was like, oh, look at that. We can sit down now. That was, I, I didn't know as I've never met and Sean will be on this podcast oh, he somehow. Needs to be. He needs to be. I don't know if you have enough gain on the preamp for Sean though. He's very quiet. He's very quiet. We'll figure it out. We'll figure it out. I mean, you guys are like literal musicians and music producers, so I can, um, <laughs> Also, he's a singer of a hardcore band. I mean, he knows how to yell. Yeah. I mean, can I put a lava mic in his mouth? Will that work? Or <laughs> Only if I can watch. <laughs> I, I'd never able to... Normally, I'm the person who helps people move the care, the heavy stuff. Like, I'm usually the, like, the bruiser of the crew. And then Sean comes in with a tool belt and un, unwieldy mess like, string. He's just like 80 pounds of pure hatred. Yeah. He's like six foot one, but weighs like 90 pounds. But it's like, it just, he's like, he's like a pit bull. Like, he's just like, you're mm. like, wow, what is a small dog? And then you're like, holy fucking shit. His low back and knees have four years left of this behavior. I mean, yeah. <laughs> I, he's, but he's, I mean, he's, what the, what's a heartbreaker is he's older than he looks. You mean, really? Him, like, that guy is like, 30. I thought he was like 36. He's, he's older than that. I'm not going to say his age. He's is older 80. than that? Yeah. He just says he just like he he has he like drinks all of his meals not like with booze but like he that like, would ju- that would drive me crazy. He's like he's like one of those people that Soylent was made for. Yeah, yeah. Fuck that. He hates food. Like he he <gasps> like when he's working he's like I'd rather just drink a smoothie that has like twenty five hundred calories. And I was like I'm a fat shit and I only eat thirteen hundred calories a day. How do you drink a twenty five hundred calorie shake and look like you? And he's like, well, you got to move your body. And I was like, ah. Yeah. There's that. <laughs> Rude. I did call somebody today and say, just a reminder, it's like a beautiful day. You should leave your house. Like, it's gorge. Is it who I think you called? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, baby, leave your house. Anyway. <laughs> but She can come over and fucking hold Dottie. She loves that shit. Yeah. I mean, who doesn't? Um, but yeah, so you fight really well. And I got to see, I actually got to see, oh God, I almost want to, it makes me wish I had brought like one more mic because uh, I got to see you guys living because when you peer into somebody's relationship from the outside, you know, you see like the best parts or whatever. You mm-hmm. don't see like the bump. But I actually got to see you guys doing something that would have been, if it were me and my ex, would have been blood. Like there would have been. Yeah. Yeah. Well, so like the assumption that I have with Christine and she has with me always is like the we're always on the same side. That's like the always God the underlining it. assumption. Oh like my God. We never fight with the con with like the concept of like, I'm against you. Like we'll fight for ideas or we'll like, win, mm-hmm. like what idea is better, mm-hmm. but it's always to improve the situation and never to get our way. Right. Like the, the, cause like the, 
the like inevitable overarching idea of a marriage or any relationship of like you're if you're getting your way or not you're living that's just like willful yeah bullshit do you want to be right or do you want to be happy Yeah. yeah and like if you just remember that you're always on the same side that kind of goes away and you can sort of have clarity on the things that you're discussing. So even if you're, you're like, you know, cause we've had a lot of heart, like, you know, since I'm mean, even, even starting with, with Dottie, I mean, before, yeah. I mean, we were together for 13 years before we had a kid smart and like our, well, we also didn't want one. Right. Like we were like, I don't want to have kids. Like we, when we got together, well, we were like teenagers almost, maybe we were 20 when we got together, but like, it was like, no, we were 19. Um, I was like, hey, like, I don't want kids. I want to live in California. I want to be a musician. Like, that's what I want to do with my life. And, like, you're, I want you to come for this journey. But, like, also, like, if you're not down, I totally get it. And she was like, no, like, let's do that. You know, we ended up here, like, nine years ago. And, like, yeah. uh, And and you were getting, like, artist grants and struggle busting it. Oh, yeah. yeah. I mean, it was, you know, she's a painter and I'm a musician. And, I mean, I work generally in production. And, and, you know, I was doing records for bands that, like, you know, a couple hundred people or a thousand people knew about. But, like, with your occasional, like, big project. But mostly it was still doing, like, DIY or just above DIY punk records and things like that. And when you're in that kind of situation, you know, like, it becomes super imperative that you can communicate and then you know we were slugging it out and a couple years ago christine was like you know her friend had a kid Mm -hmm. we went and hung out with them for a while and like met their kid and saw like their relationship in the context of a child and christine claims that that did not make her want to have a kid i i feel like it did but (laughs) And we're going to have to have a part two with Christine. Yeah. <laughs> She's just in the other room. We can get clarification. But, uh, so, so she, her, my first reaction when she was like, I want to have a kid, I literally said, no, no. Hmm. And then I left on tour immediately. Mm-hmm. <laughs> She's like, I want to have a kid. And I was like, no, all right, I'll see you in a few weeks. And I went away on tour. Um, then I came back from tour and she was like, hey, I'd like to revisit that conversation. And I got into my car because that's when I realized like she was actually serious and wasn't just like... I hate the term baby fever, but like, it wasn't that it was like something that she has been thinking about and something that she wanted in her life. Um, and that changes the dynamic of the conversation. So I got in my car after being like, I got to go to Seven Eleven, and I sat behind the car seat and my, my, uh, driver's my steering wheel. And I said, no, 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 over and over again. That's like literally to myself. I just kept saying no. And I was like, I don't want this. This isn't what I want. I don't want to be a parent. I don't want to be a dad. I don't want to be responsible for anything. Um, and then, um, I was ready to have like a, a grown-up conversation about it now that I had like threw up all my feelings at my car. Yeah. Um, and I learned that it was an important thing for her and I, and if it was important for her, like I could make it important to me Yeah. and I could find a way to, I just, I think as I, I didn't, I don't have a great roadmap for fatherhood really. Not that my dad is a bad dad. My dad's a great dad. Mm-hmm. Um, but most of the men in my family are dead. Right. I mean, <laughs> it's as as the Latino way. <laughs> uh, those are all the Jews. <laughs> that um, too. <laughs> I mean, most, most of the men are dead. Um, and my dad is my dad was a great dad, but my dad also worked a lot. And that's yeah. my problem too, is I, I I love my job and I didn't I don't want to change anything about it. Um, and so th- 
that was like a scary thing to come up against was mm-hmm. like how do if I don't like you know my grandfathers were good dudes but I only really knew them until I was a teenager I didn't and I was still coming online like my brain was still yeah growing I wasn't really interested in what other people were doing yet I was right. kind of just being like I know everything <laughs> fucking rancid rules and my dad's a loser <laughs> Uh, yeah, like, life is hard yeah. <laughs> i like girls yeah, from, from like <laughs> and dudes uh, uh, I, yeah, and, and like you know from in you know hindsight of it all like i you know I, I grew up in a pretty comfortable house i had where i had my own space and i could explore my feelings on things and you know i had everything that a kid could want but also i think about like you know i didn't really know my dad until um, until 2001, like I knew who he was, but he was the guy who like left at six and came back at nine and I saw him for like an hour. Right. Right. We talked um, about this before. Yeah. Your, your dad just like walked away from nine 11. Just yeah, like, yeah. My dad's building was right next door mm-hmm. and, uh, he like, uh, it was a pretty traumatic day for him. Cause you know, he was, everything was normal. Then everything was crazy. And then my dad had a pretty lucrative career in New York city and walked away from his job, just went home. Just didn't go back. That might be the most healthy response to something of that nature. Well, he also like didn't speak for a month. That that that's the hard <laughs> part. Yeah, that's um, the. And then like uh, I th- I think also you know when you kind of like I also New Yorkers have I think a very acute different perspective of nine eleven than the rest of the country. Definitely. And it sort of makes me feel shitty a little bit because I'm like fuck you we have a monopoly on pain but also like. Um, it fundamentally changed my dad and therefore fundamentally changed our relationship and also fundamentally changed my relationship with the city itself. Right. Like it was a different place. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, before 9-11, New York was still full of art and it was a really vibrant city where you could, as an artist, eke out a living for yourself in a place that has everything there for you. Right. Um, And after 9-11 happened... Um, there was a huge dip in the economy and, uh, prices of property went down significantly and were kind of snatched up by a lot of developers. Right. Um, and then they kind of sat on property and didn't develop it or developed it. And it sort of turned it into from this place that I grew up in and going to shows in and kind of came to as a musician in the city where I felt like it was bountiful turned into sort of like a Mickey mouse, like a, like a Disneyland for rich kids. Yeah. Like the suburbs in the city. Yeah, but it was it, like, I understand the suburbs, especially now that I have a kid. Like, I totally get why people would live in the suburbs. Kind of, yeah. That being said, I live smack in the middle of Hollywood. Go fuck yourself. I tried a year in the valley and I was like, no. <laughs> well, I, you know what's so also funny? Also, the, the best part is the, the part of the valley that I was in was still North Hollywood. It like, wasn't even like really that suburban, but I no. was like... You were like in the most met, like metropolitan <laughs> part of the valley. There was a, a subway stop or like a, a train stop uh, uh, two blocks from my apartment. And yeah. I was like, this is too much. Just, we're, we're in the woods. Yeah, I. that's hilarious. <laughs> that's how you could tell the difference between you grew up in the city and I grew up in the, you know, capital C country. Like, mm. like I, to me, a suburb was a city. And then I went to like an actual city and I was like, oh, this is cool. I don't know how I... Yeah, Stam- how much stamina I have for this, yeah. and then I lived in Koreatown for like uh, six months, and was like, I would, I would like to get away from this. The only, the only city I think I've really thrived in has been Long Beach because Long Beach is the yeah, weirdest because it's, it's like, like, well, it has like, it's so working class but so artistic and yeah. so well, like the art schools there. I'm like, it's gorgeous, and like you, there's 
the art program at Long Beach is amazing. Yeah. And then, so you have that. You also have the ocean not mm-hmm. far away. Downtown, like, is at the ocean as well. Yeah, yeah. You so, can smell like, the ocean from most of the city. Yeah, mm-hmm. so, like, and then if you just go north, it becomes, like, entirely working class until you get to... The port. Yeah. Yeah, so it's it's basically all the seasons of the wire, um, but on the west coast. <laughs> Definitely. It's, yeah, it's, like, it's it's every... It's it's everything you need. Especially because um, the newspaper, I think, moved down there, too. So it, you even have, like, season six. Exactly. We got the whole thing. We got the whole thing. Um, but it, let's... Like, let's... So I got to see you guys you know, have appropriate moments of frustration together. I've gotten to see you over the last four years go from like, like meeting your heroes, yeah, you know, and then working with your heroes and yeah. then sometimes babysitting your heroes. Sure. And like, yeah, I went um, from kind of working with bands that were on the fringe of, I mean, of like of mainstream punk rock, I guess so we'll call it, or, you know, more visible punk rock to really going, I mean, I, I, my client base now is, is a lot of people consider like legacy punk rock bands, bands that like, uh, have kind of forged a way through the bands. Noise. I had cassette tapes. Of. Yeah. 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 I mean, they're band, like, you know, one of the bands that I work with and I'm kind of in now, like I, I grew up like I learned to play my instrument because I listened to their records and I wanted to be in a band with Zach Silverman and Matt Carella. Those are their real names. Probably shouldn't have said those. Well, it's fine. Matt's a fucking ed- dentist. I can edit I think it out. Zach is dead. I can. Uh, last I heard, he was a coke dealer. Um, I can edit anything out. No, you should leave that shit in. Yeah, the Zach real Silverman. Tea. Last time we hung out, I saw you. We were twenty-one. You tried to sell me gold coins in the parking lot of a King Cullen. Whoa. It's true. He was selling gold out of his weird ass car. It's fucking strange. That's amazing. But like, I, you know, I. You know, I, I wanted to play, my guitar was my first instrument, but Zach was a better guitar player than me, and they didn't have a bass player, because no one, like, bass is just not an instrument that kids want to learn, because it's like, what front man is a bass player, you know what I mean? There's plenty of front men who are guitar players, and you also, like, I also grew up in, like, the time where, like, Eddie Van Halen was still, like, really considered, like, a fucking rock star. <laughs> That's uh, that East Coast thing, yeah. by the way. That's a very East Coast rock star interpretation. Sure, yeah, sure. yeah, yeah. But, like, that, that you know, fuck, man, Meat Love just died, fuck me up. I loved Meat Love. Me too, um, yeah. Well, I mean, even, but I, he was like you know, anti-max. Oh, yeah, he was a... Anti-max? Like, total piece of shit, but Yeah, also, it like, was one of those, like, oh, really? <laughs> yeah, but also, <laughs> Who knew like, that was going to happen? But Bad Out of Hell, I mean... Bad Out of Hell's great. Yeah. Yeah. I also like how all of his records are named Bad Out of Hell. This is Bad Out of Hell, Bad Out of Hell 2, Bad Out of Hell 3. Those are literally his records. Got, and they have, like, sub, sub names after that. Branding meatloaf is a masterclass in branding. Yeah. You know exactly <laughs> yeah. who this man is, and uh, and you and you know with his albums exactly what you're going to get, which is bats coming out of hell. Yeah, yeah. And he would do anything for love, and he would do, but he wouldn't well, wear won't a do mask. That. Won't do that. <laughs> <laughs> There's a meme that someone made that's like like I would do anything for love, and it's just like, I won't do that. It's him like pointing at masks and vaccinations and shit. I know. Bless his heart. I mean, I mean, it's 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 wild out here. We've we've learned about a lot of uh, rock stars that are. I think what we've learned in the last few years is that whether you're a rock star, comedian, uh, actor, actress, or whatever, that you're a piece of shit. You might need <laughs> people in your life who go, "Hey, you know that thing you just said or did? Maybe no." Yeah, I, I mean <laughs> that. That I think you know that is, I and think, you're that guy sometimes. You're like I you're think, that guy. Well, uh, yeah. 
I, that is my job for yeah. that band. Because, because you know what's interesting is I've noticed over this time, and we'll, we'll get into the questions, but what's so fascinating is like you, you're almost like a, um, a therapist because you my, see artists at their most vulnerable. Uh, my friend who's a therapist said the same thing. She's like, you speak in like therapy language. You do. But you I, do. I you need a therapist who sees therapists yeah. to like flush that shit out <laughs> every once in a while. Yeah. Uh, well, I think like, you know, my job as a producer is to be the objective voice for the song and for yeah. the art. And I think a lot of you hear Dottie in the background. I she's know fucking, she's la, 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 la. La, la, la. She's um, but being the objective voice for the song means like like making sure that the artist's vision is as clear as possible. Like that's right. what we should be doing as producers is taking the vision of an artist, clarifying it when it needs clarifying, but making sure that like the thing that they're trying to say is as clear as possible and mm-hmm. and can't get lost in translation. Because when a song is too opaque or a song is too wrapped up in itself. It can be misinterpreted in a lot of ways. Stand-up's um, the same way. Yeah. yeah. I mean, like, you know, I think about... Film is the same way. How sure. many movies have you watched where you're like, wow, this person was really, this writer, director, whatever, whatever happened here, the editor didn't say, excuse me, we're going to have to pull your head out of your ass at this yeah. point. Like, there's, it's, art uh, yeah. Art can be can be that way. It can be too, too navel-gazy. Yeah. Which is, like, what, what I kind of do for most of the bands that I work with now is just kind of be the voice in the room who's just like... Whether it's telling an artist no, whether it's telling an artist to grow up, or whether it's telling an artist, like, I think you need to dig deeper on these lyrics, or you need to dig deeper on this melody. Um, and, and now, like, with the kind of the echelon of artists that I work with, a lot of that now we get, like, really subtle, because we can. And I really like that, because mm-hmm. before it was with, like, some up-and-comings or coming artists or artists who were a little less seasoned. Like, we were not doing surface-level stuff, but it was still pretty cosmetic, comparatively mm-hmm. we're now like i can really lay into an artist and be like well is that is that the best way to say this like what like take away all of like the metaphor and everything tell me exactly what you're trying to say and then think about what you've said in this in this in the song like is that the most succinct way to get that point across it's exactly like writing a joke yes cutting yeah, yeah, yeah. the fat it's just like cutting the fat exactly, yeah exactly, yeah exactly. do we need all this setup or can we just get yeah. to the funny part yeah yeah yeah, I mean it's. I mm-hmm. mean, and it, I mean, comedy, music, cooking, mm. it's, it's all. It's you know, it's all the same art. Like art. Like, like you know, I watch Christine. Where I mean, right now we're in our house, surrounded by Christine's artwork, and I, I watch her edit herself all the time. It's. By the way, I knew Christine was an artist, and when I was helping you move, I was like, Christine is a artist. Oh yeah. Like that piece I behind mean, you, I obsessed. Like she's she's like the like the actually talented one while I'm just the very lucky one. I mean, um, yeah, she's going to be, I'm going to interview her at some point. Cause this is like, I mean, she's also like, she, uh, she, her commitment to like her, the vision of how she creates is like, she's been pulling this thread for so long. And like, instead of just like, cause for me, if I'm like working in an idiom that like I don't get, or like I'm not connecting with, Mm-hmm. I just move on and go someplace else. Yeah. So like like uh, for I guess like two three years ago I I kind of um, started working in like major label hip hop music. Oh yeah. Uh, it was just I remember you calling me during those times and being yeah. like, so I've just been in a studio with a bunch of guys who were just like smoking pot the whole time and yeah, like yeah. you know and I'm I, like yeah the, like it's 
but I found that I, I wasn't as effective of a producer in there. So like I just kind of shifted away from that and went back into like the things that I know better well. Mm. And like Christine, like if she's on a painting and she gets to someplace in it where she's like, this isn't working instead of just like walking away from it. It's like, she will flip her perspective on the painting and see how to make that work that like that, like not in the thread work as like a beautiful moment in the painting. Mm-hmm. And, it, and it like sort of changes the context of the painting and she will like let that be a part of it i might like i might do something terrible like, and get your wife to watch an anime called blue period good luck it's really about that christine it's gorgeous the only television christine will watch is like the try guys which is like the worst i don't even know what that is it's for not good comedians uh, <laughs> you that's not true a baby though they're like pretty funny they're, <laughs> it's just like very easily consumable content where you just don't have to think about anything when it, when they translate it to english that's when i'll i'll send the link over because it is about it's about a art student who starts a little later in life than his peers and does everything he can to get into this prestigious art college and goes through that process and sounds stuff. sounds like christine it's fucking beautiful. Yeah, Chris, like, we, we, Christine, we did an extra year in New York so she could finish up. Because she switched majors like a year or two into undergrad to go do art. Because she, she didn't, I think she initially like went to school for like social work or something. Yeah. Um, or Don't do that though. That's I, shout out to all the social workers who might listen to this podcast. Yeah. I'm going to tell you right now, though. My grandmother was like, please don't be a social worker. Uh, same. My, my, yeah. my, my dad who ended it's up just, being, It's like getting vomit in your soul <laughs> sometimes. My, my dad ended up becoming a lawyer because um, my grandmother is, she's 90 fucking six, I think. She's old as shit. She's still a social worker. And oh. she was like, when my dad was in college, she was like, you know, you can, you can be a social worker, but, and gave all of the reasons why, like, yeah, while it can be like spiritually rewarding financially, it is not a particularly fiscally awesome yeah. job. It's uh, almost like our society takes the most valuable people in it, like teachers and social workers and, you know, physicians and nurses um, and doesn't like pay them equitably. Um, I got into a really long discussion about this actually with, uh, with Chris from all American rejects yesterday. <laughs> um, and it was about, we were talking about, um, cause we're about to go, not the rejects, sorry, any rejects listeners, but I am in another project with Chris and we are about to go on tour in Europe for okay. five weeks and congrats thank you we'll see if it happens Omicron as I didn't say about it we're not going anywhere but we were talking about how just like um for two years no one no one really I mean I was working because I'm a mixer and a producer so mm-hmm. I stayed busy during the pandemic thank god yeah um I you've been very yeah, busy I flourished I mean my yeah. career exploded um basically the day that like Trump announced the travel ban that was a wild day, but we were talking, I'll get back to that in a sec, but the Chris and I were talking like Chris didn't play his drums for a year. Cause he said he just bummed him out. He was like, cause he felt so completely fucked by the system that like, you know, 2008, a bunch of really irresponsible fucking bankers and wall street guys gutted our country and completely bankrupted everything. And we almost lost our currency's value. Yeah. And they all got bailed out. Yep. They all got bailed out. One guy who works for Deutsche bank, one fucking guy went to jail. Mm-hmm. One guy. Everybody else either got a pardon or got a check. Meanwhile, the pandemic happens. Musicians, artists, and entertainers. Our industry stopped. It wasn't like our industry slowed down, like some people got laid off, 
or some people like had to take a cut in pay or couldn't work for a few weeks or couldn't work for a few months. And I feel for all those people too, but we couldn't do anything. Yeah. Cause like there was, there was no, there was nothing. And when we were, when companies on our behalf would try to rally for some sort of, of Dottie's yelling in the background, some sort of like recompense for, to make us whole. Yeah. No one listened. Yeah. And it's crazy. Cause it's like the shit that like, I, I don't, self-aggrandize at all but i do think the things that we do as entertainers and people who work in the entertainment industry like we're the actual cultural capital of our country yeah we're, we we're are, proof of proof of of thrive yeah. of, of life yeah yeah and it seemed that during the pandemic really the only thing that anyone in any sort of power could have really given a shit about is making sure that the stock market was still working and making sure that people had just enough to get by. Right. And I had three jobs and I lost a tooth. Hey. Yeah. Like, <laughs> you know, I mean, we didn't, we didn't work for, you know, as touring musicians, you know, we didn't work for, we, I mean, we, I went on my first tour. I went to Europe in July last year for a week. Mm-hmm. And it was one of the most stressful things I've ever done because we were tested every single day. We couldn't get on an airplane without a vaccination card. We couldn't go into the festival grounds without getting a test. We couldn't go on stage and go to the staging area without getting a test there. Like it was, it was nuts. And I'm grateful for like the, the, the abundance of security. Right. Uh, Cause I, I actually ended up did getting COVID at a festival that we did actually in fucking Orange County. Went all around the world, totally fine. <laughs> did a one-off in Orange County and got fucking COVID. <laughs> oh, uh, man. Orange County, California. That is the most you yeah. shit. <laughs> was, like, yo. But, like, you know, we... You know, we were talking, you know, and Chris and, and not Chris, just not just Chris, but like a, a lot of musicians mental health-wise like have been suffering through this. And, all, and I think all entertainers... You know, luckily, you know, comedy, comedy can, in a way, exist in some form live on Zoom. And it's not that strange of a paradigm shift. No. Um, you can just also mute bad laughs, which are pretty sick. Like, so if someone has an annoying ass laugh. Yeah. You know, one of those like. Fucking, like, like mine. No, I love your laugh. But I mean, like someone who's got like a, like a real hacky, like. <laughs> or like something that really cuts the audience. And you're like, I, like, sir, I can fucking hear you. And we got to turn that down. What's um, happening here has to yeah. stop. <laughs> yeah. Or if people are like being chatty, you can just mute yeah. them instead of just fucking publicly roasting them. Although, yeah. Um, Although that but, is really fun. I, w- yeah. I did do a live show the other day and there was a guy that I literally just had to tell him, you know, hey, uh, I really want to interact with you. And I understand you want to interact with me, but you're giving me nothing. You're too stupid to crowd work. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> What's your name? Bob. Of course it is. Of course it is. Regular fuck. Yeah, exactly. Oh, you're Um, Kyle? Ugh. Ugh. (laughs) Uh, But like music in that context, we tried. It just didn't work. With the exception of one band. There's one band that I know that did really, really well with with streaming concerts, but I also think they're incredibly innovative. I think we watched them, me and Brandy. Uh, It was... uh... Well, MXPX is who I'm talking about. Oh, no. No. MXPX, um, I don't know. I'm... So I mixed a few of their records okay. and like they're my buddies and I'm pretty fr- pretty good friends with their management and they're from what I've heard like they had a spectacular yeah couple of years because but it's also because their fan base is they they are probably the most in a band of that level who are the most engaged individually with their fans as I've ever seen no like Mike sends people like happy birthday messages oh my 
but also like that whole crew is kind of run by like by family st- like like the the mxpx merch arsenal is run by mike's mom mm, michelle i love that when we had a baby she sent us a bunch of baby stuff you told me that i'm so oh i i love um, this but like most bands who tried to do it unless you had like a huge budget which there was no money rolling in from anything really because also streaming the equity split for streaming is very favorable toward the streaming service, yeah. not the artist. So comedy's that, got the same problem, yeah. yeah. And like the uh, kind of like the 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 way we could do it, unless you had a ton of money, was like try to get a good looking recording or try to get a good sounding stream going on mm-hmm. like some pay to see platform, right? And like those did okay, but it wasn't like. But I mean, like, yeah, like <laughs> that's the thing. Is like it just it, it didn't work. The context, like the the context of a show, isn't really about the band, mm-hmm. which is why I love it. Like it's strange to be. So I'm, oh whatever. I'll just say the band I'm in. I'm I'm in a band called No Effects. Um, I joined No Effects in April of last year. Um, they jumped you in. They jumped me in. They did. Literally, if you watch, we have a Patreon. There's a video of smelly jumping me in oh my god i love this it's it's, uh it's um it's gross it's it's really gross (laughs) Um, when it happened i was like you piece of shit Uh, i really got in my feelings about it but i uh you know so um even with a band like that we did a patreon yeah um, to try to sustain some sort of connection but like when you go to see no effects right yes Mike and, and, and Hefe and Melvin and, and Smelly are up there playing songs and it's, there's playing the songs, you know, and, but that's really just like 5% of it. Yeah. The other 95% of it is you're in a crowd with like-minded people, with people you love, maybe yeah. people you don't know, but you have this incredible common interest where you have never said anything to each other in your whole lives, but you throw an arm around the person next to you and then you're both screaming words along. Like that's the show. The show is stealing a set list and maybe Mike will come out and sign it. It's going to the merch booth and getting another t-shirt or, and supporting music that way and, and the whole social aspect of it. And when you take that away, you just becomes, explained, I know this exists for other genres of music, I'm sure, but you just explained the appeal of punk and ska and like that. Well, whole I think that's vibe. the appeal. I mean, I look at, cause I also, so I, I was with a band called brass tracks for a long time mm-hmm. who are decidedly not punk rock, but um, we also did a live stream event um, live from house of yes in Brooklyn that I mixed and what I ended up walking away from it was like, cool, we have like a really interesting recording and like we captured a show, but still the same thing. Like these kids who like want to dance and want to interact with Ivan and interact with yeah. our guests and, and want to buy our merch or want to, that still was like a huge part of what was missing. Cause mm-hmm. also like you had to understand, like when you're on a stage, you understand this, but yeah. like if you're on a stage, you're really trying to, you feed off of what's happening in front of you. Right. It's just the songs. It's just the jokes. We've all done the jokes and we've all done the songs a million times. When somebody says, I really enjoyed that. I always say, thank you for being a great audience because it is 50% of the interaction or at least a strong 30. (laughs) Oh, I mean, I think it's, I think it's an even larger part of the pie. Like we've all done shows where like the audience just sucks. Yeah. We did. I mean, we, I can think of, Maybe. You were you were telling me that story of doing a, a show the same night Radiohead did oh, a free that's a show. Great, that's a great. <laughs> yeah, my old band we were playing, and this is not no effects, but this is my old band was we were playing. We got booked at a show at uh, for a CMJ show at 
it was either like Nokia Theater or like Gramercy Ballroom, like a big headline room in New York City. Right. We were fucking psyched. Um, and it was a great lineup. It was us and like Agrolites and who are like this amazing like soul ska band from here in uh, in LA area. Whoa, you're speaking my language. Yeah, also like straight up Chicano soul. They are like, you oh my god, like Los Bukis, but yeah, like also they all they talk about is just being like Mexican as fuck and like okay being working class. They're awesome. I'm, I love that. We're band. gonna listen to that while we do construction um, later. <laughs> <laughs> oh man. Yeah, they've yeah. got some records that are absolutely phenomenal. I love this. The um but it was a great show and it looked really good and we had like pretty good pre-sale going for it and we expected our walk up to be a sellout. And then two hours before doors, radio announced a radiohead announced a free CMJ show at Madison Square Garden, which was like ten blocks away. <laughs> and we played to thirty people in a fifteen hundred cap room. <laughs> While literally I went out to go have a cigarette and could hear fucking Radiohead playing from <laughs> down the block. I was like, you got to be fucking kidding me. And you were a real crowd participation yeah. band. <laughs> yeah. yeah, like that's like our whole thing was like, was like, yeah, it, it required an audience. I imagine if it were a movie, you'd just hear, woo. I mean, literally, like Christine, I think it, it may have been like the first time that my wife had ever seen us too. Christine, Christine, like I convinced her, I was like, I was like, all right, I, we need a merch person for tonight. Like I'll show you how like our merch intake works. And like, cause like that band normally would do pretty well like we'd probably do about two grand to three grand of sales in a night which for a band that is like unsigned touring on your own yeah that's good numbers yeah but like that's you know selling you know we were also selling our t-shirts for 10 bucks we were very very inexpensive now t-shirts are like 45 dollars but like True. we were selling things for super cheap and just trying to get rid of inventory and just try to get the name out so like i really worked with christine so she knew how like you know our pos system works and everything on your ipad and then just fucking nobody showed up Nobody, <laughs> nobody, nobody. As a comedian who stood outside of a bar show with my table of stickers, been <laughs> yeah. like, "Hello." <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's it was it was, but like we still played our songs, and yeah. I think we probably played them pretty well. But also, like, it felt shitty because the main component of the music has to do with the community that you're playing for and that reciprocation of of energy. And if yeah. you like, you know, a painted black wood floor that's got 30 people standing on it isn't going to give you the same kind of reaction that 1500 people would yeah and it might not be like in comedy what i would do in that situation is i would go to them but you've sound checked you need all of your the accoutrement of the the audio you can't just like drag you can't either well i guess you could maybe bring them on stage but like you can't just be fucking around there's there's this artist uh named chesky who is like this unbelievable rapper and also like a fucking incredible guitar player. Uh, he's Puerto Rican. Uh, we'll forgive him. Uh, <laughs> yeah, he, uh, Shade from two Mexicans. <laughs> he, uh, he um, so he just did a show in LA a few weeks ago and it was the end of like a 10 or 15 day tour. Mm-hmm. And because of COVID t- turnout in LA specifically is very shitty. Yeah. So I think like there was like 40 or 50 people in the room. Um, Chesky just walked away from his microphone and just took his guitar into the audience and was like, all right, this is where the show is happening now. And like made it like a total crowd thing. And like Fat Mike from NoFX went to the show and Fat Mike came back the next day. Um, I didn't go to the show because I have a child and uh, a wife who would stab me for going to shows right now. Um, But Mike was like, and Mike's a pretty critical dude. Mike was like, it was one of the best shows I've ever seen in my life. 
It was phenomenal. It was absolutely phenomenal. One of the most fun times I was in it. I was at a 12-step convention, and Ozo Motley was the, like, Friday act. Sick. And that's, like, their thing. They go out into the crowd. And, like... The National do that, too. Like, we... Yeah. I was... I saw the National at the Beacon in New York City, and... <laughs> they go into the crowd so you can cry with them. They just turn off the PA and <sighs> and turn up, the ho- like, the house lights for the last song, and I they play I love the it. National, but, like, that is the, the, the song of sad men. Oh yeah, yeah. That it's is like, like it's, that's like it's the saddest shit. It's, fun, it's I, the most wet blanket. It's like the, I was, the soundtrack for a wet blanket. <laughs> I, I was working for them for a little while, like very short time. I did I did like three shows with them, and and uh, uh, they were on Stephen Colbert, and uh, like uh, Stephen Colbert was like, uh, "How's it feel to be like the newest upcoming thing in indie rock?" And Matt was like, um, "We've been a band for twelve years." <laughs> like we're very aware of oh. our niche but yeah like they'll even admit like they're like yeah this is like sad suburban smart white guy music yeah which like listen no shame they fucking but i love that they go into the crowd that's the thing i do in comedy well, like, a that's, lot they started yeah. like i was i did front of house at this club in brooklyn called zebulon which is now actually here in la um but like they started as like a Zebulon band. Like it would be like no shit. There would be like a lineup. Like you'd see like the show lineup and it's like the national fucking, uh, the yeah, yeah, yeahs. And then like, yeah, yeah. And then like, uh, fucking like, uh, like local natives and you'd be like, cool. And then cool. that's actually, uh, that lineup, uh, combination is how KCRW was born. Yeah. That's, uh- <laughs> Sprinkle a little bit of rapist hosts in there. Too, nailed it. <laughs> Leave that shit in there. Those KCRW fucks are dirty people. <laughs> insider information. Is it? Yeah, uh, you can you can Google it. Actually, yeah, those it's Saturday like a whole thing. Are, or Saturday hosts are pretty Ooh. huge. Pieces oh, of shit. And also racist. Anyway, yeah. <laughs> um, like that yeah. we're throwing NPR shade. How old are we? Listen, they're just an NPR affiliate. <laughs> It's not like Terry Gross is like fucking like donning a clan's outfit and being like. White power. That's like yeah. it's some fucking douchebag in fucking Pasadena who fucking it. can't keep his hands off interns. Yeah. So he could be president, I guess. Uh, yeah. <laughs> uh, woo. Um, so yeah. So you see these these massive lineups. You do. And they, they, they were nothing though. Like this was yeah. this. You know, you'd see you know the national the yeah yeahs and and fucking whatever other huge headliner now mm-hmm. fucking LCD sound system, and then you'd see them play for 150 people on the yeah. floor. There's no stage. Yeah. And like that's how like the national kind of came out of that. They were they. I like that they still like even if they're playing like Barclays, which is a fucking stadium, they'll turn on the house lights and turn off the PA, and everyone yells. Yeah. And it's like, it's a nice homage to like what they came from. And even those guys, like, even though like, like, I think Matt lives in like Venice now because he's fancy as fuck. I hope mm. he hears this. Uh, he like, uh, <laughs> send it to I'll, him. I'll, I'll, send it to him. Like, I'll talk shit about you. Um, those guys are still very acutely aware of like what they came from. And like, uh, so like, that's really, I, I mean, I love that about them. And I, yeah. and I love what they give to their audiences, even like their last few records, which like ha- didn't do as well as like the boxer or high violet, but like, you know, trouble will find me, and and uh, the newest one too is like they're so good. Yeah. Um, yeah. Well, let's get into these questions. Let's do that. We've had a lot of like catching we had a up. Very long fucking this is, exposition. This, this is a, yeah. This is a, we yeah. We've we've really the setup has been long. Um, but we had to catch up on like your amazing life. Like you trim the fat now though. You gotta. You know, 
Got to get in there and edit it, I guess. Um, yeah, you're like, you have this amazing life. You have what, it's interesting because you, you're experiencing stress, which I think is important to acknowledge, like, because you have so much good shit on your plate. Yeah. You have a house, a baby, a thriving career. You're both a musician and a producer. You, you can make choices about the kind of art that you're making and the kind of art you're participating in. You know, I'm out here doing internet commercials. Like, you know, you're, you still do this. Yeah. You, you, you (laughs) out here crushing it. You know what I mean? And, but it, it can be stressful. And especially when there's so many plates spinning at once, like how do you experience surrender? Um, I, I think a lot about the concept of like quality problems because mm-hmm. that's generally what I deal with. Yeah. Like today I cut my finger on a fucking circular, uh, not on, a, on a table saw, like putting in molding in my daughter's room that she has all to herself. Yeah. By the <laughs> like, way, this is a man who literally, again, I cannot emphasize he, he watched some videos and then became a construction worker. Yeah. That's amazing. Uh, but like I, I, for a long time in early recovery, I would hear when people would talk about quality problems in the rooms, be dismissive about the way they feel about them. And a quality problem is still a problem. Yeah. It's still like, it's easy to, um, to like kind of quantify it or qualify it and like turn its volume down by saying that, but you're not actually dealing with the thing when you're just like, well, it's a quality problem. And then you walk away from it. Um, you know, surrender now is is a lot to do with making really hard decisions and having to face the fact that like some of the decisions that I'm going to have to make are hard yeah and whether they're hard to be and it's it's hard to be away from my family but yeah. I have to I have to tour to make money I have to do that and I know I'm going to miss them but I also like know that like this is my this is my job so I have to do my job yeah um or like knowing there's this band in Georgia that I fucking love. I love them. I'll even Who say their they? name. They're called she, he, he, they're fucking awesome. Okay. Um, but they're because of like scheduling and budget constraints of on their end, I couldn't end up really being a part of their record after I really wanted to be. Right. And that was really hard to walk away from because it's like, I really wanted to do it, but because of the way scheduling was going to work out and the way that like money was going to have to go, it just wasn't going to be able to work out. And like that I had to be like, okay with having, I mean, luckily now I have a manager now I could just be like, and tell them I can't do it. But, yeah. uh, you know, the, the, that's hard. Cause I, I hate saying no to people, but like learning that, like, I have to relinquish some things in order to enjoy others. The insanity of, um, overextending ourselves. I mean, I'm, I feel like I'm in the middle of that now. I mean, like right yeah. now I'm doing um t- two no effects records i'm doing uh another fat band re- uh, fat records band record i'm doing i just mixed a suicide machines record i'm in the middle of a knockdown record i start another record on the first of february and i start another record on the 11th of february so i have seven records going right now which it's a lot of records and they all have about 20 songs yeah. in the in the hopper before we cut them down yeah so, you know, whatever seven times 20 is, that's 140 songs mm-hmm. in in 30 days. Yeah. Um, so that I was, I had a, I had an artist call me yesterday. We have a session booked for a few weeks from now and he was just calling me to like express some excitement. And I found that I, I couldn't match his excitement. I felt like I was feel, really burnt and really tired mm. and I couldn't match. And it wasn't that I wasn't excited to work with him because I am, I'm 
like very psyched. Mm -hmm. But in that moment I was just so tired and like, I'm like, and I got into my car to drive home last night from the studio after working all day. And I was like, you know, like, fuck, like that sucks. I've never been able to not match someone's excitement about something, you know, especially Mm. if like the excitement is, you know, to explore music with me. Like what a, what a, what a privilege that I got to feel that way or someone feels that way about me. So like, yeah. And I think it's an extension. uh, It's like a part of being overextended or really like a, um, a function of being overextended where I'm just like, I feel like my brain is a bit worn out. Right. Because it's not, it's not just the career anymore. It's the kid. It's the wife. It's the house. It's the making sure that my, I'm maintaining relationships with people in my life. And I'm like, not good at that. I'm very, you know, I'm very bad at texting. <laughs> I could call more. You're better at calls. I think sometimes Well, also, that's like a 12 step thing. Yeah. Um, like texting was how I used to get drugs. So I generally don't do it. Oh, I didn't um, know that. Well, then I'll call more. But I also know, I think when somebody is got a lot of good stuff going on in their life, I also know that like, you can't pick up your phone when you're cutting a record, you know? And so sometimes it's just like, I think anybody who's your friend who's in your life is going to know that, that like, sometimes you're difficult to get a hold of. Most, I don't know if I, I have friends who are annoyed by it, but most of my friends who are like, who I see on like a weekly basis or I see on a monthly basis, if this, if my schedule is too crazy, like will like kind of understand. Yeah. Um, Also, because most of us are, are kind of in the same place in our careers or in our, in our, or in our lives. Not that like everyone has a baby and shit like that, but we're all doing different things. Yeah. We're all working and we're all like, yeah. we're when you're doing like, fuck, if you're writing for a special, if you're writing for a show, like you're going to be hard to get a hold of, I assume, or if yeah. you're prepping for a, a podcast or if you're doing fucking editing stuff, yeah, like yeah. that's not time. That's I'm never going to answer my phone if I'm editing drums. So I can't expect that of my friends who are all editing podcasts or who are all writing jokes or who are all writing songs sure yeah my friend reed she like the singer from way of the union like she i consider her outside of christine my closest friend right and we went from seeing each other every single day for two years to uh, now we talk once twice a week so would you say that now is like one of the most insane moments of your life or are you just like, uh, I, cause yeah. I, cause I do, when you mentioned the national, you were talking about, they remember where they came from. I know mm. that you have come from, you know, I think, doing dope and like, like having, I think insanity also kind of shifts through your recovery and like yeah. what you'd consider. Cause like two years ago, me, if I saw a person in my, pers- in my, in my situation saying the things that I just said, I'd be like, what a whiny baby they still get to do whatever they want and like they still are doing all these great things. Um, like it's not as insane as like, you know, running up credit card bills at doctors and then claiming credit card fraud and, or like, you know, trying to like buying, (laughs) we were talking you and I were talking about, um, I have a family member who doesn't want to get vaccinated and she's like, I don't know what's in it. How could you do that? Put in your body. And I was like, I used to buy dope from a guy who I only knew by the first letter of his name. (laughs) In MacArthur Park. I, yeah, I love shoe polish. <laughs> yeah. I don't know what I don't know what you're talking yeah, about. Like, like, just like I'll trust a scientist. Yeah. I trusted a guy named D. Yeah. Like, like, <laughs> um, but yeah, like that. I think of that behavior is absolutely insane. And now I, I think like I think my circumstances are different, but I also do see a lot of the same behavior that like you know that is pervasive to us as 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 addicts or alcoholics or however you identify Mm -hmm. i mean the issue 
I've always thought, and this is not a uh, uh, this is not a thing that's sanctioned by any twelve step program, but I also just don't think the problem is drugs. No, I don't. It's just not that. It's the quitting the drugs part. So easy. It's, just don't do them. Yeah, it's the um, it's the everything else that happens when you do when you stop. The disease lives between your ears. Yeah, and it speaks to you in your own voice. Like that's what yes. fucks me up. Like yes. that's the thing. You know, I I I think about like the the decision making process I had when I was using. And let's I get think, into that decision question. How are you making decisions today? You are you are oh. leading this podcast now at this point. <laughs> decision making. Yeah, oh, uh, yeah, but you were, my wife needs. No, yeah, I. <laughs> I uh, you know, I've really, um, in a lot of aspects, I've sort of relinquished that to other people. Um, yeah. I've, I've to make it my life a little easier. So whether it's, you know, the singer of my band making a decision that we're all going to do a tour or whether it's the, my manager deciding what projects I'm going to take on a lot of that decision making professionally gets done by other people with me kind of having final approval. Yeah. Um, I sort of get like dealt a hand of situations mm-hmm. and instead of having to play all situations, I get to pick the hand that I think that'll win. Right. Right. Um, which is a pretty sweet place to be. Yeah. Honestly. Yeah, but it is, it is difficult when your previous situation, like your previous decision-making base was more about like, how do I make this money to get this thing? Like yeah. it's when the Maslow's hierarchy of needs is like more prevalent. Yeah. It's really just decisions on like how to not end up living, you know, unhoused basically yeah and and like it's it's nice to know that like i have built up enough of a life that that probably won't happen right away um it won't by the way god i hope not listen you can always rent out this space to comedians you could get 25 comedians in this living room right now living comfortably and the way we structure our mortgage it wouldn't be illegal (laughs) that's some boring fucking bullshit that i could talk for hours about um but decision making on an, on a more interpersonal thing or or um, in my relationships outside of work are you know I still try to keep it really simple, which is just you know just I try to do the next right thing. Right. I try to do what's just in front of me. I try mm-hmm. not to worry about like what it's going to do or what people are going to say about it, and I try to be of service. The blessing and that's is hard. Yeah, the being of service part when you're really busy. Well, right now, I mean, I the most being of service I can be right now is helping my wife with my daughter. I but think that, that's huge. But that also comes into stark contrast with the I have to be at work doing these records because this record label says it's due this day. Yes. Um, like, it's... So when I, I will go to work and I'll come home at six or seven and I'll be exhausted and being of service is not on my mind... I'm sitting on the couch and being nothing is on my mind. Yeah. I have to really push myself to like recognize that like I'm not the only human in the world. Yeah. And Christine probably just had a pretty doozy of a day because she's been home with a fucking nine month psychopath for the last 20 hours by herself. Yeah. Um, and like, it's what can I do to support? What can I do to help? Do I need to feed the baby? Do I need, does daddy need to be changed? Does Christine need a break? Do I, can I, can I do the dishes? Can I do, I mean, Dottie normally has like a mat underneath her. I'm pointing at it as if anyone's going to see this, but uh, there's like a mat underneath her chair that like Mm -hmm. we put down there. So while she eats, if she throws food on the floor, it doesn't ruin our floor. Right. And like, does that need to be cleaned? Is like, is the apartment a fucking mess? Is there, you know, it's, and I have also seen like me building this place as strange as like, while I do think I, I kind of have a bit of a chip on my shoulder because I wanted to do it myself. I do see that as like an act of service for my daughter. Mm-hmm. And having a place that like 
like the the DNA that is the space we're in is is Christine and I and Dottie. It truly is. Like there's I mean there's nothing that was here before. Yeah. From the old tenants. I yeah. Mean, like we ripped out everything. Yeah. Um, with the exception of the bathroom. The bathroom is the same same bathroom. So if tenant, if you're listening to this place and you ever lived at the address that I'm not going to say, um, the bathroom's still the same. Yeah. It has that flippy Jetsons toothpaste holder thing. If you lived here, you'll know what I'm talking about. That's definitely great. I, I, you know, I I was just thinking like the blessing, the the one thing you could really hang your hat on with this is that you're too you're too busy to worry about the decision making. You just got to move to the next decision, Yeah, which is a place that sometimes I'll force myself into because I don't deal well with indecision. Yeah. Like I'll procrastinate until I literally have like nothing left to do other than the thing in front of me. The the trick in with that is though, is, is to how to remember to be of service to others in your decisions. Cause yeah. I think a lot of rock stars um, or musicians or producers who are in a similar place as me mm-hmm. will make decisions quickly because they have to. And I understand that, but they do not consider the other people who are now involved in the mechanism. Right. Because before when I started, it was just me then it was me and Reed. Mm-hmm. And now I have two managers, a lawyer, uh, a wife, a child, Reed, the- and another assistant named Riff. There's and, a lot of people who, if I make a decision, that effect, that decision is going to affect all of them. Right. And by the way, the baby is in charge. Oh, yeah. 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 <laughs> and it's it's hard because when I think the baby's in charge, my initial instinct is I need to be with that baby. Right. But I also think like, what's up, Beans? I hope She's I like, save. yeah, Beans was like, uh, bitch, I'm in charge. She's yelled. I, my, your decision. Hi, yeah, Betty. <laughs> She's very pretty. <laughs> uh, she fills me with so much joy. She's great. Um, um, but like, you know, I, I think about when being of service to Dottie is that being in there, changing diapers, changing clothes, cleaning her room, or is that ensuring that she can go to college and have a place to stay and have like food security and things like that? Yeah. Yeah. Um, which are really hard things to grapple with because they are significantly more abstract and like, the boots on the ground situation is Dottie shit herself and she needs a diaper. Yeah. And my wife is tired and my cats are useless. They don't, you guys have to (laughs) teach me. I've never changed a diaper before. I've had several people ask me if I can come and watch their baby, which is weird. I'm like, I'm actually like a cat person. I really have never been around babies that much. That's strange because I I think you're so good with her. I thank you. I, she's a delight. I, I'm not bad with babies. I just don't know the technical aspects of babies. I had a very funny interaction yesterday um, well, with uh, with a baby. So I, uh, um, there's this band called the Lawrence Arms from Chicago. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I, uh, so Brendan, the one of the guys in that band, uh, we were hanging out yesterday, and uh, he wanted to meet Dottie. So um, I like swung by with Dottie and Christine so he could meet Dottie. So this dude is punk as fuck this guy is like he's a gnarly midwestern punk rocker who's been like at it he was uh he's nihilist arby's on twitter <laughs> really yeah whoa i did brendan, not know that was okay brendan kelly is nihilist arby's <laughs> okay okay uh, i'm not giving away any secrets somebody outed him uh, a few years ago but that's brendan so like he 
I love like, that punk rock musicians are so much funnier on Twitter than. Um, oh yeah, Max is just the fuck. Yeah, they're they're so much funnier on Twitter than comedians. I'm like, why even try anymore? Oh, like man. it was tell Max it was like a big day in our house when Max had followed me back on Twitter <laughs> and not Brandy yet, and she was like, oh, like <laughs> I was like, Max just followed me. <laughs> I love that dude. Yeah, but like, so we get so we brought Dottie around this dude and like watched him just like morph in front of us from like nihilist arby's drinking a cocktail at 11 o'clock in the morning to like oh my god she's just she's just the sweetest i just want to rub my nose i mean it's the first thing i do i come in i'm like give me that baby yeah she grabs my nose and grabs my hair and i'm like i don't care she pulled your tit out at a meeting she did pull my whole boob out at a meeting that's how i know these menopausal boobies have gotten out of control because babies look at them and they're like boob now um Just whipped out a whole tit. It was meeting. pretty great. Um, in a park where there park. was children, like not far. Children, newcomers. It's children. Children. <laughs> <laughs> it, was, it was crazy. But but I, yeah, I love that. I, you know, I, I think people are going to get it. And I think anybody listening to this podcast and you're like brand new, I get it. It's like in the beginning, it's just like the, again, it's all Maslow's hierarchy. You know, it's take yeah. a shower, go to a meeting, don't use that kind of thing the the struggle of long-term recovery is balance this is yeah, something they, my sponsor tells me all the time it's that's balance when i when i was when i had just met you um i you know when we became like real friends was like you you told me one night after a really weird meeting that, that was a like, very weird we went yeah. to a cult accidentally is what happened i thought we were gonna do yoga because it was at a yoga place i love the yoga into, and i was like they were like they do yoga at the meetings is what they told me at the yoga place so i was like sick and it was not that no it was not um but like you, we were sitting out on like a curb and I was like spiraling and you were just like balance is, is the devil of long-term recovery. You're never going to, your recovery is not a race. You're never going to win. Mm-mm. Nope. There's never a place where you get to it and you're just yeah. like, you know what? I'm all better now and everything is easy. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it, it's, you know, the problems or not problems, but the situational changes from early recovery to like midterm or long-term recovery. Yeah, it gets better. Yeah. And you it, deal with it better. But your life, I mean, life shows up. Yeah. You know? And like, I, I think I might be a, a pretty like bizarre example of like a fucking program success story or whatever, just because like my, my life was a fucking nightmare. I quit using drugs and within two years I was in on my career path, working with people who I loved, working on things that I loved, doing only what I wanted to do. And but for the first two years, all I did was go to meetings and be like, oh. "What's gonna happen?" You know. But like, yeah, it's you know, I still I feel like the struggle of like splitting money between a habit and food is now like splitting money between like, well, my car needs new tires. And I definitely need uh, more paint for the apartment. Yeah. Like those decisions while like the, the, (laughs) the medium in which I'm spending money is changing. Like they still feel the same. Yeah. Um, I have a significantly better toolbox to make those decisions. Sure. And I also have, and I, I rely really heavily on, on the, on the fellowship, the friends that I've made to make better decisions too. Right. I also feel like getting back to like how I make decisions, decision-making has become significantly more communal. Yeah. Or I'm more willing for input. Maybe that's it. When I was actively in addiction, I think like I was very convinced I was right (laughs) all the time. Like, Mm -hmm. you know, when I was new in recovery and someone wanted to bring up God in a meeting and I'm like, that's not a thing. 
and I was right. I don't know if I'm right. And yeah. I, that's a bit of surrender too, is like, I don't know if I'm making the right decision, right. but I do know that like, if my general feeling is reflected back to me with four or five people I trust, it's probably a good decision. Or yeah. if I'm completely on the wrong track, those people will tell me so. Yeah.
But yeah, that's... Well, and I think it's where that comes from is really knowing yourself. And like, because it's it's easy to take feedback from others when you know what your, like, your core self is. Sure. And you just made a face like you don't know yourself, which is fun. <laughs> but I do think, I do think like, like what's I, been the most interesting thing that you've learned about yourself since we last talked? That I can be a dad. You're so good at being a dad. Um, You're so good at it. You. You're like really good at it. I didn't think I would be good at it. You're like, I'm inherently very selfish and I love to be right. Um, I love to be in control. I love, uh, I revel when other people are wrong. Yeah. It's um, nice. Like it's I fun. really like when, like when, when it all came out that Jerry Falwell was a giant piece of shit, I was like, I knew it. We all knew that. Right. It. It we all knew so that. It so good to know it. Yeah. Um, or, you know, or like when Joel Olstein, they found like a million dollars cash fucking stored in his goddamn totally. fucking walls. Yeah. And shit. I was like, yeah, that guy's been a piece of shit forever. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, I think that's what the obsession around Epstein is. Is It's oh, like, man. there's I, so many people that like, if they knew, like, we'd be like, oh, I knew it. That person sucked. <laughs> dude, I got some, I'll tell you after the podcast, Woo. I got some weird ass Epstein connect. Not me, but I know some people with some weird ass Epstein connections. Oh my God. You got to tell Brandy. She'll get her string out. Oh, She's sh- really excited. <laughs> it's going to break her heart. <laughs> You know, all that ska money. But like, um, you know, um, I didn't think I was going to be a very good parent. Um, I still sometimes think I'm not great, but, um, you know, the, it's funny. I was talking about like communal decision-making because actually Dottie is a pretty solid. <laughs> her existence is an example of this. So, um, when Christine told me that she was serious about having a kid and was like, gave me the, like, this is, this is what I want talk. Um, I called my sponsor, mm-hmm. which is something men and women have significantly different relationships with their sponsors in the program was yes. I found like every woman I know it's like, I love my sponsor. We talk all the time. And I'm like, I talk to my sponsor if the world is on fire or if I did a fourth step, <laughs> like, that's, that's yeah, it. like we, we text each other maybe once every two or three months to be like, you still alive? I said, I saw a meme that was like my sponsor. There's another, there's a flip side of that too, where it's like women's sponsorship and it's like, Oh, I'm sorry, baby. You have a headache and cramps. Like it's fine. Like I'll see you at the meeting next week. And it's like men's sponsor is like, Oh, I'm sorry. Did uh, someone cut off your arm? No. Okay. Go to the fucking meeting, work your steps or die. Like that's, yeah, yeah, no, like, yeah, that's, yeah. that's very it. That's yeah. like, uh, <laughs> The accountability aspect of sponsorship versus men and women in my experience has been like, um, I also think recovery for women is significantly harder. We have to be softer with each other. We well, come in with think, so much yeah, trauma. I think like so, like the amount of trauma that comes to women in risky situations mm-hmm. like drug use and alcohol yeah. abuse um, is significantly harder to work through than like most dudes. Not that we don't go through shit. Right. Like, like my first fourth step was bullshit my second one it came like like which is totally fine by the way a fourth step your first time through the steps should be it's not even if you work really hard on it it's gonna it's fine yeah it's it it's 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 so you're just cracking the surface with 80 80 grit sandpaper there you go you know it's it'll it'll get the shit off but is it gonna look nice underneath it probably not no and that's okay because you're gonna go back with eventually you're gonna work that shit all the way up to 600 600 grain and then you can stick it on your wall around a uh, door frame Uh, (laughs) we will be doing construction after this (laughs) (laughs) and like um you know the uh 
my second time going through a fourth step is really when I kind of like really was like, okay, I'm ready to deal with some stuff. So like, there's like a, like my, I was sexually abused by a cousin mm-hmm. and that shame and that guilt, like I carried a lot of that with me subconsciously for a really long yeah. time. And like being able to like, know that like that shit really wasn't my fault. It was pretty wonderful from a fourth step <laughs> yeah. and like knowing, and like that was good for my sponsor, yeah. but generally like when it comes to like on like a day to day recovery thing, he's just like work your steps and go to a fucking meeting. I'm I mean, not, I'm not here to, I mean, he's like, I'm not an ATM. I'm not a therapist. Thank you. I'm not your friend. Yeah. Like I love you because I have to. I had to get serious with a friend of mine the other day too. I was like, listen, I love you. Here's the deal. Yeah. If you don't go to meetings and you don't work steps, you are loitering with the intent to recover. The a phrase I never thought I would say out loud. Yeah. But like do the thing. And also these other creative pursuits in your life, mm-hmm. just thinking about them is not doing the thing. Yeah. You got to do I the mean, fucking I, thing. I, I come up against that a lot with like young people in, in my part of the industry, which is just yeah. like who have like, who are full of energy and ideas. And I'm like, great, do it. They will embrace every excuse to not do the thing. A lot of it, it comes up to like with people are like, well, it costs money. And I'm like, yes, it's 100% fear. Yeah. Yeah. Like my studio, you've been there beautiful by the way costs money Mm -hmm. (laughs) i pay my rent and i buy the things it keeps and i and i learn to fix things if i can't afford someone to fix them like that shit just comes with the territory like you gotta (laughs) just so you know um he fixed my xlr cable with a pocket knife before we even started i didn't even know that's a thing you could do (laughs) true true but like getting back to the decision making thing communal decision making and how the program made dotty exist so i called my sponsor and my sponsor was like yeah i don't have a kid so i I'm not a good, I'm not good at helping you with this decision, but he's like, my sponsor has five yeah, and is in the music industry as well. Yeah. And does the same thing that, not the same thing that I do, but a very similar thing in the mm-hmm. music industry that I do. So he gave me his number and he's like, call, call him. So I hit him up and he's like, yeah, I got some time. Let's talk. And I was like, uh, you know, like, you know, you are touring all over the world with an artist that like is a amazing headliner who will play to anywhere from 10,000 to 30,000 people in a night on like an easy night. Mm -hmm. And if you do festivals, hundred thousand people are very likely to come see your artist. Yeah. Um, how do you balance that life and have children? And he's like, well, how do you stay sober? And I was like, do you want the, do you want my story? Do you want like what I need to tell you? He's like, no, tell me the thing you need to tell me the thing that gets told you when you say, how do you stay sober one day at a time? And I was like, what do you mean? And he's like, this is all painted for you. If you had to be a dad today, could you do it today? And I was like, well, yeah, if I had to, he's like, yeah, that's how you do it. You just be a dad when you have to be a dad every single day. And you don't think about tomorrow. You don't think about the last day. You don't think about the mistakes. You just be a dad. You be a person. You be willing. Yeah. Um, and it fucked me up because I didn't have a good argument to be like, well, it's stupid. Because <laughs> 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 I still wanted to fight it. But like, and you know, after talking with him and I talked with another guy in the program who's got kids who's also like in punk rock and a few people actually, um, some out of the program, some in the program, you know, it was made clear to me that like the excuses that I had for not having kids were selfish and fearful. And that isn't anything to subject anybody else to. Christine had something she wanted. Yeah. She wanted a kid. Yeah. And if I can't give that to her, she should be able to go somewhere else to get it. Yeah. And is that something that I'm willing to do? No. I love my wife. I love my, I I love her more than anything in the world. I don't want to lose her over a decision that's based in fear. Yeah. So 
I decided like right now I don't want this, but maybe I can learn to want it. Yeah. Um, and that decision was come to from, you know, the, an amalgamation of recovery and people's opinions and people's opinions of me and people's experience that I didn't have. Um, and I'm so grateful for it because like, well, I don't think I'm like the best dad. I do love being a dad. Yeah. Um, and <laughs> what's fucked up is, um, I like being Dottie's dad. Yeah. Uh, I don't give a fuck about anybody else's kid. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and I find that most parents want to be like, look at my kid. And I'm like, yeah, this is not Dottie. I don't care. I, I, I told the, I told you that I was like, you know, I'm, I am 39 and my, uh, uh, my uterus is a hostile environment. Uh, I think the clinical definition is, um, bowling alley ashtray as yeah it's 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 rough it's rough in there and um through no fault of my own by the way it just happened you know and thanks um, god yeah thanks the lord um but yeah i uh i i was holding dotty the other day and i thought to myself if i ever did want to have kids it would not be um fulfilling as the baby would not be dotty yeah. <laughs> <laughs> i was like i would just live my whole life knowing i didn't have dotty yeah. <laughs> She, she's just an easy baby. She's, she's she's truly magical. Um, she's an easy baby. She's you know. I mean, I got lucky in that context too. That like also, that I have a partner who's a great mom. And like, if I'm fucking up, I don't really have to look too far for an example on how to be a better parent. I could just be like, oh, she's folding laundry. I should do that too. Yeah. yeah well, and I I think that, that that's a moment of self honesty. You know what I mean? Like how like what would you say your honesty? Where where is that at right now? Uh <laughs> I mean, with my wife, uh, I mean, we've always practiced radical honesty, which is just like whatever you're feeling in the moment, you say it. Oh, my God. That's also why we don't fight as much. And when we do fight it, we fight well. It's because like there's no like there's never we don't have an opportunity to harbor weird feelings and let them fester. Because if something's weird, I'm like, what's weird? If I ever end up with another, I'll, although I doubt that'll ever happen, I'm exhausted by the concept. <laughs> but uh, if I if I ever end up with a, another gentleman in my life, can I just leave him here for training? Sure. Okay. Sure. It, yeah. it costs nine hundred dollars a week. Damn it. <laughs> yeah, I mean, like that. Well, I'd been in a lot of shitty relationships when I was young. Yeah. I also had, you know, I don't. Um, I have known a lot of parents from friends of mine who like were either divorced or, you know, or just like, or co-parented in a shitty way. And not that the kid turned out shitty, but like these circumstances were shitty. Yeah. Yeah. And like, that's, I think comes straight down to again, like when you fight, you got to assume you're fighting for the same thing. Like, and you have to be honest with each other. If you're feeling weird, there's no one in the world else who you should talk to about it other than like, I mean, you could talk to your friends and stuff, but like there's no one you should be more honest about it than with your partner. Yeah. Um, Cause those feelings are, are every feeling between you and your partner should be reciprocal. Mm. You know, like it should be like if when Christine's bummed out, I'm bummed out. Like when I'm having a hard time, Christine's having a hard time. If I'm tired, generally Christine's tired too. Yeah. You know? Um, and those are like, real like things and those are those are those commonalities between you two help strengthen your relationship yeah um i mean i told you this the other day when you were still with that fucking guy i can't stand like he <laughs> when i was like his only job is to love you that became my mantra yeah I mean, over like, yeah over the, yeah, the decision making process yeah. there is that became my his only your romantic partner's only job is to love you romantically and i would just kind of yeah. like chant that to myself yeah. as i would like feel fear around my decisions and like yeah, yeah. i mean I, but that's an extension of like the honesty thing it's just like 
um, you know, I know that I love you and I know that you love me. And that's really our, our only real commitment to each other is to stay that way. Yeah. And everything else is minutia that's built around that. Yeah. I have a daughter because I love you. Yeah. We have a house together because I wanted to buy you something because I love you. Aww. Like we have a car because I love you and I want to make sure that we can get places. Oh, I love it. But that's just like, you know, that's honesty there. And then, you know, honesty in my day to day. I mean, I, tr- man, I fucking stole a plant from Home Depot. Accidentally? Accidentally? Yeah. <laughs> the accidental theft for a person in a 12-step program is the funniest oh. thing in the world. Because you have to like walk back in and be like, I'm sorry, you didn't ring me up for the thing. And so I stole it. I got my in, bad. I got in my car and I was like, I was with another member of the program. And I was like, fuck, I got to go back inside. And they were like, why? And I was like, I accidentally just walked out with this plant without paying for it. They forgot to ring it up. I was looking at the receipt. And he was like, I respect your program. I don't respect Home Depot. Fuck them. That's very, by the way, that's a very Brady response. But that's something she would say. She'd be like, uh, "You're you're like aware that they support anti LBGTQ organizations and whatnot, right? <laughs> or like, like you're aware that the money from Victoria's Secret completely uh, funded Epstein's life, right? <laughs> like, yeah, like, <laughs> like she would. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. That's but like, I'm like, it's not about that. I just got to do the thing. Oh, I didn't return it. He talked me out of it. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that radical honesty, though. I love it. I love it. Well, did you have any um, fear and anxiety around that? Like, how do you? How is that manifesting in your life right now? Oh, um, you know, it's not. I mean, yeah. an- anxiety. Yeah. I mean, I mean, I, th- I think I'm generally kind of an anxious person. I just, I'm impatient. You were. That's what it is like I, I want like. I okay, so I'm, I'll be watching a documentary, like a true crime documentary, like let's. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then first episode in, when there's ten episodes, I'll immediately Google that motherfucker and be like, "What happened to John Wayne Gacy?" <laughs> and fuck the ending up for myself because I I can't I gotta I gotta I gotta know. You gotta make sure he's not gonna crawl through the window and kill yeah, you while no, you're watching it. Or just like I, like I I I don't have the patience for for to to oh man the not knowing. I mean, that's like, that's, I write songs about it. I think like, you know, it's, it's like, uh, like the, I know that I'm going to fuck up the journey of knowledge or whatever that the people say is the noble part, but like, it's, it's, I want to know what the end is like. Yeah. And it, and I think about it with death too a lot. It's weird how much you think about death when you have a kid Mm. because you have a kid and then you look at it one day and you're like, I doomed you to death. What 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 will what will make that happen for you too is if if you don't have a kid but you have uh, people in your life who have died like yeah. a lot of them oh yeah, yeah yeah like I like with my parents and stuff it's like yeah I, th- I think a lot about that my dad here's what my dad used to say he used to say I think I think heaven is whatever you want it to be and he goes for me it's gonna be a giant Hershey kiss I'm just gonna eat chocolate forever all right. <laughs> Hey, butchers have like uh, simple needs. Simple needs. Um, <laughs> Jealous. <laughs> this is a man we once put a, a double double in a blender for. Uh, wow. So he could have a burger again. Yeah. Anyway. Gotta wonder if he was like, this is good or just like, oh, I'm glad you did it. We were all laughing. We were all laughing. It was, we were having too much fun with it to even care if it tasted good. We just like, all I'm laughed. I'm throwing about these it. fucking cherry peppers in here. Good luck, daddy Exactly. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. That, that the, the like, yeah, the anxiety of like knowing that Dottie's gonna have a hard time one day. Yeah. That stresses me out. And not knowing that I'm gonna know the answer before she finds out. Like I, I think about 
I just, do. I think addiction is hereditary. I do. I think, you know, I, I come from a family of people who some of us are in the program. Some of us are saving seats for others. Yeah. And, you know, I, I, I worry a lot that I will pass that down. And it's not really the addiction thing. Cause we can deal with that. I yeah. Fuck. Like whatever, go to rehab or fucking go to a meeting, whatever you got to do to get clean, whatever that doesn't stress me out. It's, um, the insatiable need for ascension. That is like the hardest aspect of addiction that I have to deal with mm. is never feeling any sort of absolution, never feeling like I've arrived. We've done like yeah. work in recovery. Like it's a race. Yeah. I did that because I needed to feel like there was a point in which I was going to be fixed. God, that is, that should be a, in a on a pillow. Addiction <laughs> is the insatiable need for ascension. Yeah, absolutely. And like, I see friends. I've my my buddy Chris is a Christian, and uh, he's one of my closest friends. And uh, he's a deacon. And I see the security and the assuredness that he has in the concept of the afterlife, or the concept that he's cared for, or any of those things. And I'm just not sure about any of that. And yeah. I I'm so jealous of it. And it pushes me to want to do more in my life every day. And I want to chase this gig or if I get to this, I do this, I'll feel this way. And then when you get to those goals, I feel nothing. I don't feel like, you know, yeah, I, like we, I had we a similar thing. No yeah. effects for a long time. Yeah. No yeah, effects yeah. has been, that's, that's been on like a bucket list band for me to work with for a really long time. And I got the no effects gig. And while in the moment it felt awesome that Mike was like, I want you to do this. Um, I got in my car and I, did not feel like celebrating. I felt cheated. I wonder I felt like it wasn't enough. Like I felt like it was, it was like such a letdown. I wonder if you're like me and that what motivates you isn't necessarily the cash and prizes and the notoriety and the respect. Mm -hmm. What motivates you is the process of acquiring the cash and prizes and the notoriety yeah. and the yeah. respect. I get off on the process of writing the joke and practicing the joke yeah. and pr writing the transition to the next joke. Yeah. And I never listen to a record after I'm done with it. Never. Exactly. With the exception of ordinary life. I do listen to that record still. Yeah. It's That's like, it's good. Yeah. There's this like moment of like, it's the process for me. It's the yeah. craft of it that I truly enjoy. And I think that is what keeps your brain from turning to egotistical mush too. Sure. Because you just love what you do. It's not about, who yeah, but, feeds you afterwards. Yeah, but there's I still have a want for that though, which is very strange. Like yeah, I, that too. I I agree that like the I'm significantly I mean look around. I'm very process oriented. Yeah, you <laughs> yeah. do love a process. Yeah. Um I like a project, I like a process, I like following you know, I, I think it's also like why I identify so well with twelve step and why I took to it the way I did. Same. Was I was mm -hmm. like, Oh, I just gotta do those things. I don't even need to do all of them all the time. I just got to do those, though, and everything will be okay. Sick. I'll be in therapy, and I'll be like, okay, so tell me what to do. And my therapist is like, that's not how therapy works. And I'm like, but, like, tell me what to do. Yeah, like, and she's like, what? And I'm like, I, I need steps. And then you lean in, and you're like, choke me. And I'm like, yeah. What? <laughs> <laughs> uh, but, like, yeah, like, the, the I, I do love the process, but there's the other part of me that's like, I would love the reward. Yeah. It's all stick, no carrot. Mm -hmm. You know, when you find, or, like, you think you got to the carrot, and it's just a orange stick mm -hmm. and then you look up and you're like oh there's a twinkie fuck. right i gotta now i gotta work for the twinkie yeah and you get to the twinkie and you're like oh it was a rowboat yeah fuck and i gotta row this boat all the way over there to get this thing like that that's how it feels Ugh, a rowboat would be or a kayak would be my nightmare oh my god i, I hate I, I hate doing that shit almost killed christine and i in a kayak in the gulf of mexico once 
I was like, our kayak was taken on water, and I was like, don't worry about it. Just you know, stay in the middle. I was like, I was like uh, tr- trying to explain surface tension to her and like get all scientific, just as like I was that like, that is not what she wants to hear. She just wants to be on land now. Yeah, I was like, no, no, we have enough surface tension. We'll be fine. We just got to paddle back. And she's just like, no, we're taking on too much water. And then just just slowly. <laughs> And I was like, well, I was wrong about that. Amazing. Amazing. Uh, well, okay. So, so what is your character defect that you're still struggling to put down now? Oh man. I like them all. I know. They're so, I mean. <laughs> it was the same answer. I think last How podcast. do you choose? I like them all. How do you uh, choose between anger, self-righteousness? I think, um, uh, pride. Pride. Okay. Pride. I think like, because I have a very full life, it's very easy to become prideful yeah and and live in a way that isn't like serving anyone or serving a higher purpose sure um especially when like a lot of people around you are like everything's so great this is great you're great and you're like you believe the myth a little bit it's hard you know you keep your shit in check when you have an objectively awesome life and you know you want to take credit for that but also like i really can't i just got extremely lucky and like shit worked out Had I been another person, had I been a minute late to something, had I just blown something off, which are all fucking things I'm very capable of doing, everything would have been very different. Yeah. You know? Um, But, and trying to remember that, like, my life is not this thing that I built up from my bootstraps, like every Republican wants you to believe, but really is just a fucking amalgamation of amazing luck. And also being prepared like, you know, I, I, I am good at my job. I am good at being around people. And I, and I I try to be a compelling person and a helpful person. But also, like, fuck, man. Oh, the first meeting I ever went to, before I got clean, I went to a meeting with this guy named Colin. And uh, it was on the west side. And I fucking hated it. I was like, this is fucking stupid. These people are fucking stupid. All their shit is bullshit. This mm-hmm. fucking, they, they were pious. They were ambitious. But in a way that I thought served nothing. Yeah. Um, and... That was my flavor of 12-step for a lot of years before I was ready to get clean. And had I not gone to the Thursday meeting at BHS, the one-hour dose, it's a 6 p.m. meeting in the middle of fucking work week. And it just has like... In a congested area of Los Angeles. It's not not easy to get to. But the only people going to that meeting are people who have time. Yeah. Or who are retirees, who Mm -hmm. are older. Yeah. And I got perspective from people who, like, I could see at least, well, they're older than me. I should listen. Mm. Um, And had that not been such a transformative experience, who the fuck knows? Right. I mean, I may be dead. Right. Um, You know, um, I didn't didn't build this. I just get to live in it. And you're staying grateful for it, which I like. But also, I do have my moments where I'm like, I mean, like, when I'm in a fucking airport, and I'm like, don't you know the fuck I am? Like, That's when you call me and I'm like, <laughs> chill out. <laughs> I, uh, when we were house shopping. These like these, we were we were waiting outside this house for a realtor to meet us, and it was like kind of late. This was in East LA, and uh, these dudes had like uh, their car out front had like fucking like Pennywise and all sorts of like these punk band stickers on it, and the people selling the house, and uh, they because of COVID protocol, they were like showings are over at at six so we're sitting mm-hmm. there waiting it's getting close to six our realtor shows up at like 603 <sighs> so and they won't let us in the house yeah and um i was furious 
And I straight up in the car was like, don't you fucking know who I am? Like, fuck you. And Christine was like, no one cares who you are. <laughs> so like, what, what is your experience of forgiveness? It sounds like you've, you've had to process a lot of self-forgiveness specifically. I don't know. Uh, I mean, I, I mean, does self-acceptance count as self-forgiveness? It's part of it. Yeah. Um, it's kind of the byproduct of it. Sure. Um, I don't, I don't, hmm, I haven't really thought, considered it. Um, how do you forgive others? Like, how'd you forgive your realtor? Oh, cause it wasn't their fault. <laughs> See, there you go. Um, you got some perspective. Yeah. I think also understanding that like, oh, this is a good one. Um, this is a good example. I mean, like, so, um, I, uh, used to be really mad at my parents. <laughs> I mean, uh, who doesn't love being mad at their parents? It's like but, the like, best, I used right? to really carry like some pretty serious resentment over shit that is meaningless. And, you know, I, after having a parent, you sort of, after having a parent, after having a kid, you sort of realize that your parents have no fucking idea what they were doing. No. Yeah. And they're just fucking guessing. Yeah. And like, so a lot of the things that like, I was like, man, what a shitty thing to do to a kid. I'm like, they didn't know what the fuck they were doing. Yeah. They had no idea. Uh, I think the way I experience forgiveness is try to maintain some amount of objective, um, uh, oh, the word just escaped me. Um, uh, um, Jesus, what am I looking for here? Um, I'm glad that you're doing this right now because people late, lately have just been like filling in words for me because they're just impatient with my with my speaking. And I'm like, listen, I don't know what's wrong. It's just that like I'm getting older and this is COVID what my brain, brain does now. I had COVID a few months ago. My brain doesn't work. Um, having some objective pers- like perspective. perspective. Yeah. Yeah. Like trying to maintain. Empathy, this. compassion. Yeah. Yeah. Or even if I'm not experiencing those things, having some perspective that like there's probably more to this than how it's affecting. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, like I, you know, so like four step, like when I was working on like being abused by a family member, I could have just left it at holding resentment from them forever. Mm-hmm. Which like if you hold a resentment because you've been abused, I totally get it. Yeah. Um, thanking your abuser is a fucking bummer mm-hmm. or being, but I wasn't abused by like a sick old man or like a fucking someone with a problem in the sense of like someone being intentionally nefarious. Right. I was abused by someone who was reenacting abuse that was done to her. Right. And that's not her fault. Right. It's her abuser's fault. Right. And like that perspective allowed me to like view this person who hasn't been in my life, but I have thought as a piece of shit for a very long time as like, Nah, man, they're not a piece of shit. Right. They, they, they were dealing with the same thing just through a different. My daughter's just fucking She's yelling. having the best time. She's partying. Yeah. yeah, like the understanding that like the other side of that of those difficult um, interactions are always informed by other things. Right. That are outside of yourself. Yeah. And like even in traffic, if I've had a hard day. Hmm. I'm an asshole in traffic. Like, fuck you. Get the fuck out of my way, you fucking piece of shit. I'm so great. I don't have that. I'm not mad at that guy. Yeah. I'm just mad that, like, someone sent me an annoying text message. Yeah. You know, like, that it's not their fault. Yeah. Um, It just, like, if someone's a dick to me in traffic, I'm like, they're probably having a tough day. Yeah. Yeah. I'm like, I always say, oh, no, your mom didn't hug you enough when you were a kid. Like, I always always infantilize the person freaking out in traffic because I'm like... 
that's what they're doing. They're crying. They're being a baby. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I love being a baby. Though. I mean, it is like, kind of fun sometimes. Um, what is the most interesting like amends that you've given since the last time we talked, or like apology you've had to give? Um, huh. I had an amends that like didn't go anywhere, which was pretty interesting. What? So like, what happened? So me and um, another a member of another program. Okay. Um, we were very very close friends, and um situationally something became weird between the two of us and neither of us acted particularly spiritually toward one another Mm -hmm. and it ended our friendship in a way that was like shitty and unsacrimonious especially considering like how much history and i had sure um so um i called him and i was like hey man bless you um i uh, (laughs) i called him bless Bless you is that christine or your neighbor neighbor. (laughs) um I um, called them and I was like, hey, you know, we're, we're both fucking programming. We know how to handle this. This is stupid. Yeah. Um, I was like, I've thought a lot about it. And like, this is my part. Mm-hmm. And I'd love to hear what you have to say about it. And they told me their part. And I was like, you know, like, I'm really sorry if I was, if it seemed like I was unavailable for you as a friend. Um, and like, owned up to a good portion of like the problem because like you know i was at the time was like trying christine was pregnant i was trying to buy a house i was yeah living in a hundred square foot studio apartment with a pregnant woman and two cats yeah Um, that's bananas to me yeah yeah, yeah. it was it was a wild time i had a lot on my plate so i can see how i could have been on like emotionally unavailable for a friend um and they owned up to none of it i remember that yeah, they put the onus entirely on me, and that's okay. Bless them. Um, hey, Dottie and Christine. Amazing. Friends have just entered the room, everybody. Yes, they're delightful. Um, yeah, I remember this. It's yeah, bananas. And, and it's uh, our relationship hasn't uh, improved uh, at all. I, I have actually found out that they, they, right after we had that conversation, they actually moved several hundred miles away. I didn't even mention that they were doing that. And we had made plans to get a coffee. But, but you kept your side of the street clean. I know that I that I did everything I could to be that person's friend, and yeah. that like I, and there there are legitimate gripes with my behavior that they had that I can understand. Sure. And I'm willing to eat those. Yeah. But I'm also not willing to eat other people's shortcomings. I carry a message. I don't care the ad. You know what your fifty percent is? That yeah. came from uh, that came from my my homie Ray. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's a uh, you got to know what your fifty percent is. Yeah. Yeah. And like. I think it's a good example of the fact that, like, amends aren't going to fix everything. No. There are people that you've pissed off that are going to be mad at you forever. Yeah. And if you can be honest about your involvement and why they're mad, and you can have some perspective on why they are and understand that, you can forgive yourself, you can forgive them, but it's not, they're not obliged to forgive you. Yeah. And as much as that's, like, a pretty hard thing to take a lot of the time, especially because we do so much work in the rooms. Yeah. And we, we... We, sh- I think a lot of people, myself included, work steps for some form of absolution from our sins. <laughs> um, well, because our addiction, what our addiction does is that thing when you're like trying to go, to, especially if you have anxiety on top of all of this or within it. Um, what my disease does is I go to lay my head down on my pillow at night and then my disease is like my first, this was my first year. This is why I started reading in bed. Hey, hey, what are you doing? 
You want to think about that thing from the second grade? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. What a fucking bitch you were. You're a terrible yeah. person. That actually yeah. happens a lot less now. Yeah, that's, I mean, barely happens ever with me. Yeah, I, I don't. Yeah. Uh, um, that's, a, that's an example of time doesn't equal recovery, but it don't hurt. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, uh, you know, I, I would, I used to be driving in my car in traffic or something. And then I'd have like the intrusive thoughts, like one day you're going to die. Yeah. And I would be like, I would literally make that noise until like the feeling passed. <laughs> um, I love that. <laughs> I, I have significantly less of those feelings, whether it be like death or something I did in second grade. A lot of that too is because I think about like what, who I was in high school or who I was as an adolescent person. And like, I don't fuck. I'm not that dude. Not. Yeah, and and if you if you knew a kid in high school sucked, you're not gonna when they're 30 still think that they suck because they're a kid. Yeah, I mean when I do run into people from my like childhood who I haven't stayed in touch with, Uh I ordinarily start out every conversation with like I'm real sorry. They're like, what? And I'm like, I'm, I was Hi. like, I don't know what I did to you, but I know it wasn't good. Hi, I'm sorry. I, oh man. I, you know, or like, you know, there, there are people who are like really good people who I, who I know who turned out to be amazing people mm-hmm. who I can't have a relationship with because I did them dirty and it was shitty and it sucks. Yeah. Like I think I, there's, there's this like very talented artist, a uh, painter who, and visual artist who like, I think her work is amazing. If I reached out to her, it would bum her the fuck out because mm. I treated her really poorly. Mm. Um, but also, in a way, like I get to, I get to still objectively experience her art and like get a relationship with the things that she makes, the things that she thinks are special, mm-hmm. and still get to be in like a weird fly on the wall of her life, mm. um, even if I'm not directly involved with it. Yeah. And like that's okay with me. I mean, like the the it it doesn't upset me that we aren't like romantically involved. It, it, it upsets me that like she makes things that I think are cool that I enjoy that I can't. Cause I know how rad it feels when someone comes up to me and at a show and is like, I love this record that you made or like, I yeah. think your band is good. Yeah. Like that does fill me with like a sense of like accomplishment and I don't get to like kind of fill her cup at all. Yeah. Just cause you're in a relationship doesn't mean you don't have to like, it, or not just because you've exited a relationship or something, it doesn't mean that you, you don't want to celebrate that person. Yeah. yeah. And that's the thing too, is like I, I, for a long time I was like, fuck my hometown and fuck those people. Yeah. And like, I, I don't feel that way. Like I, like I'm, I'm sure like when, before I bought a house or like had a career, when I saw people who were doing well, I was like, well, their dad is probably the mayor. Or like, you know, like, like, I bet your dad's mayor McCheese. Yeah, like, um, you know, like I, um, like I still celebrate them though. I like, I think I see people who I grew up with who bought, who bought houses or have kids or buy cars or, or advance in their careers. Yeah. And I feel nothing but like intense amount of pride to have known them when we were all trying to figure it out. Yeah. Um, and the bummer with it is like because of the things that I've done in the past, I have taken the opportunity away for myself to fill that cup for them. Mm. And doing anything, I mean, my my this, I mean, this dude Mike, who I grew up with, um, he was an incredible musician, and uh, his life sort of took him into doing real estate, mm-hmm. and kind of he started selling like multi million dollars homes. 
and like I see him post about it on social media because I follow him like a pure creep, but like I see him and I want to be like, that's awesome. But I also know like I really fucking bum that guy out and like that sucks that I can't be a part of that for them in a supportive Mm -hmm. way. But I also really like seeing it. He just opened a fucking spa. And That's it's dope. Yeah, it's super dope. And it's like it's like that dude is helping people bring helping relaxation and awareness. Like we are on I know that although like we had a pretty tumultuous relationship based on like a lot and it was honestly based off of entirely jealousy on my point. If you were a talented musician near me when I was a kid, I was immediately threatened by you. Uh, and like, <laughs> well, that's a very comedian way oh, of yeah. handling life. That's why, that's why my <laughs> friends are comedians. Because <laughs> um, we all hate each other's success. Uh, no, like, uh, but like, oh, fuck you. You're really good at that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but like, I, I know, I view what I do as a, aside from like the byproduct of helping an artist develop their point of view is the audience gets to feel something gets to feel relaxation or gets to feel connected to something Mm -hmm. and with mike opening a spa like we're on the same side we have the same goals we want people to be mindful and relax and feel comforted and feel a part of and feel like in your skin it's okay to be you Mm -hmm. and and who knows maybe like him and i one day will will you know, because we're not like unfriendly, yeah. you know, but also like that's, you know, him and I could have been better friends had I not been a jealous piece of shit and a shit talker. Yeah. Um, well, and I, I think what kind of keeps that from cropping up today, you know, with that long term recovery is that 10 step situation. So it's like, what do you like, what do you do today on a daily basis not to spin out of control while you're literally I'm going to punch myself for saying this, spinning records for others. <laughs> oh, shit. <laughs> um, I, for a long time, I was doing a daily 10th and 11th step, mm-hmm. which I still think everyone should do, even though I don't do it anymore because I'm very busy. Uh, <laughs> There's an app, I think, for the 10th step oh, now. Oh, I know. <laughs> I've done the app a couple of I times. I downloaded the app, which made me, f- just filled me up with just enough, uh, like, um, like you're doing it, that I didn't... <laughs> You know, like I had, like, I had like, I got that hit of like, you're helping yourself. Hell yeah. Um, so I was like, no, I'm good. I don't need to actually do it. Um, uh, mindfulness and being present. Okay. I mean, that's also, I think is also a gift of recovery. Like I think about how anxious like my day to day was when I was using or when I was in early recovery where I was just constantly fidgeting and thinking about myself and trying to like waiting for people to get, it's like sitting at an open mic night. You know yeah. what I mean? Like when you're just like, I'm just waiting to practice a joke. Like, I don't give a fuck about what this dude is saying. Like that was every interaction I had for yeah. a really long time. Yeah. And the fact that I get to be like present and like available, um, like is such an incredible gift of recovery, but like that's staying mindful of like, this is the moment I get to be in. Mm-hmm. Um, and speaking slow sometimes and like, being thoughtful about the things that I say. When you are in a fugue state, you speak very quickly. The New yeah, York Jersey New York. comes out of you hard. There's no Jersey here. Yeah. Oh, okay. I had an aunt who lived over there, but she's oh, sorry, dead sorry, now. sorry, sorry. I have a lot of <laughs> friends from like Philly, Jersey, and New York. It's very funny. They, f- I mean, I I love a Philly human. Like a Philly is a different city. Like that shit is like if there's any city that in the country that is like sort of like New York. Yeah. Philadelphia. Yeah. And it's because we have like a similar like the way like Jews are to New York city is the way like Polish people are. Really? 
where like our, our culture is so ingrained into the city itself. Right, 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 right. Um, you know, and maybe Baltimore too. I think Baltimore's like that. Yeah, I've got Baltimore people in my life too. It's, um, it's interesting. But like when I meet people from Chicago, I'm like, you're not from a city. <laughs> I'm like, it's not a city. You, <laughs> I you, love that. you live next to a giant lake. That's you, you, you're a snow town. Someday I would love to get all of my city friends together and take them to the dirt patch from which I was raised. <laughs> Behold the dirt patch I was raised in. <laughs> just like a little boy and fucking like stilts. It's just like, Jenny, Jenny, there aren't enough rocks. <laughs> <laughs> well, okay. So like what's, what is your, with, with all that happening with your daily even if you're not tapping into it, because I think over time too, like the 10 step just sort of becomes like a, you sit, you know, you're sitting on the toilet and you're thinking to yourself, was I a dick today? Yeah. Did I yeah. lie today? Yeah. Why well, uh, does, uh, did I talk to my higher power today? Like, okay. Did I take a second to be quiet with myself? Okay, cool. All right. Yeah. Yeah. Did like I, that, 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 I mean, that's definitely I did the, a toilet I did the conversation. Head, I did, I did the head rub that I do when I'm yeah. thinking like that. Is that how you poop now? It's, I just, yeah, I have to be. Right, come on, girl. You got this. You know, that's how you can tell when I'm either so mad or so frustrated or so overwhelmed is I start rubbing my forehead oh, like wow. a bald man. When I get mad, I just smile wildly. Like the more furious I am, like the more I'm just like. I get that way too sometimes. And people like, they can, with my like deep ass voice, they can hear my anger through my smile. And it's apparently both terrifying and condescending. I mean, I, sometimes you got to be both of those things. I mean, yeah, that's, that's how you do. I mean, being condescending, I think, uh, if someone deserves to be condescended to is, uh, like being condescending to a flight attendant. Don't do that. Be condescending to Jeff Bezos. Oh, my God. <laughs> like, Can I tell you a, a thing yeah. I did, by the way? I th- And I did it in such a way that I wouldn't have to make an amends. Let me tell you about a thing I did. Mm-hmm. So there is this Hypebeast brand that, like, has moved in next to our house. And when I say Hypebeast, I mean, hot, like, Hypebeast, right? Like, mm-hmm. And um, they have, they had, like, a succulent market like a like a succulent community thing where there were like all these people so you went all these things but what they they went around the neighborhood very sweet and they flyered and they gave us like free merch basically and they sell like sweatshirts for like a 100 bucks like like i follow them on instagram they also totally took pictures of our house after jenny came in um <laughs> uh, jenny from back up back up how many times i've seen pictures of your house that aren't posted by you or fucking brandy really oh yeah people fucking love it's like it's like so i mean it was like so fun to even and i she's a dream guest i adore her like everybody in that band i will stalk you and try to get you on this i was with stacy yesterday or two days ago oh my god i'm just we also have the like 12 foot skeleton in the backyard the oh, hyper yeah. brand bought a 12 foot skeleton after we put our 12 foot skeleton up like so it's just very funny we're like you'll never be as cool as us mm-hmm. it's fine and um they, but they had this thing and I was like, I want to go support it. And when they put the, they put the flyer out, it literally said, bring your dead plants or dying plants and we'll help you. And I showed up with a half dead plant. Sure. Right. And then came home and I was like, what a nice impression of this b- business. What a great way to ingratiate yourself to the community. When we used to just watch all your cars get tickets every day because you guys didn't know you had to move them for a street sweeping and we would drink coffee and laugh at you. And um, like, like we, th- you know, I was like, okay, maybe perhaps that was wrong. And um, this man pulls up to the parking spot in our house, which in LA is verboten. 
in yeah. any um, situation is verboten, but especially LA. And it's not like this is a hard to park in neighborhood. No. There's literally spaces on the street. This man pulls up, his kids get out, and he's like a dad, but like a hype beast dad with like lavender corduroys on. You know sure. what I mean? Like a parappa of the rapper hat. Yeah, like he just yeah. looks stupid. Flat rim that says like baller on it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so he gets out of his Dodge Caravan. And so Jake Paul rolled up to your house. Your pretty side. much. Uh, or Jake Paul's dad. I don't know. It was just like that energy. And like the door pops open and, of his van. And I was like, hey, man, you can't park here. This is residential. And he was like, no. Uh, it's just going to be a few minutes. And I was like, excuse me? I was like, this is a home that a human paid for. This isn't a rental. Like, what are you, what are you doing? And hindsight being 2020, I should have parked my car on the street and charged people to park in our spots and go. made a killing that day. I go. am an idiot. And so uh, I looked at this man and I even should have said to him, cool, give me $20 and you can park here. You can park here for two hours. You know, like I go ahead. But instead, I was just like so flabbergasted. I was like, sure, dude, but you could get towed with the intention of towing him in exactly 10 minutes. Yeah. <laughs> and, and I was like, okay. And then I came out and I realized after 10 minutes that not only had he gotten out, he left his van door open on private property. He parked a car and then left the door of his van open. And I wanted to teach him a lesson. I truly did. But I don't want to get arrested, and I don't want to have to make amends. So I took, he had two kids in that car, and he had, I mean, toys and all kinds of stuff in this car. And it's, by the way, the kind of van where it's a push-button start, so I could have just sat in it and waited for him to get close enough and then turned on the van and moved it myself. Again, theft, right? Questionable, right? Questionable. I don't know if that's theft. Here's what I did. I took all the toys and shit out of the van and books and shoes. And I just put them on top of the van. (laughs) I just took all the crap out of his car and put it on top of his car. And then I sat on the porch with my, with my neighbor. And I was like, I wonder how he's going to react to this. (laughs) And then he came back and he was like, did you break into my car? And I said, well, I, I did say to him, I was like, man, your car is parked on private property and you left it open like a dingus. I didn't break into your car. I just explored what had arrived. (laughs) (laughs) And I said, and nothing is stolen. And if I was going to steal anything, I would have taken those Gundam action figures. (laughs) (laughs) And put them with my collection and then you'd open your door. And and then you'd be like, Jesus. Jesus. Yeah, I'm like, oh, welcome. Anyway, so it was just a very funny moment, but it was funny because my neighbor, my neighbor did end up like yelling at him and it was like a weird old man off, like they were going to fight. And I was like, all right, gentlemen, calm the fuck down. The best part is this, this man drives away. Another man pulls up and he was like, hey, I helped you with your plant earlier. Question, I got to load up my booth. Can I uh can I just like pull my van in here? And I was like, absolutely have a great time. Yeah, no problem. And then he left like <laughs> yeah, he left like bougie incense on my porch for like is that he was he was selling. That's how you do that in community. Yeah. But it was so funny. I called my sponsor that night. I was like, do I owe an amends to this random man? She goes, No, but man, you hit the line. <laughs> <laughs> you butt right up against the line. <laughs> I mean, also I <laughs> I'm assuming he was a white guy. I mean, yes. Right. Yeah. I mean, yeah. white, dressed like a 20-year-old. Like, yeah. And it was funny. I was He's like, got a YouTube channel. I literally, I was like, we live here. This business is trying to, this business is trying to have a positive relationship with the community and you're ruining it. That's why I told him. I was like, your rude behavior is ruining it. 
in the future, I'm just going to talk to all the neighbors and I'm just going to charge, you know, X amount of money for X amount of parking time and sit out there and start my own car lot. Fuck it. That's illegal. Shh. Is just, it? Yeah, it's very illegal. Really? Well, you, you see that with the Rose Parade all the time. Yeah, it's, it's still illegal. I mean, we try to do that because we lived, <sighs> our old place was right by Hollywood Bowl. And I tried to be like, you can park here. And then my landlady was like, you absolutely cannot do that. It's very illegal. And I was like, oh. Damn it. Okay, well, we'll figure something out. Wink, wink, nod, nod. I mean, or you could just fucking do it and be like, fuck the police. I mean, it might be better than getting into somebody's van and putting their kids' Crocs fair, on top of fair. it. I mean, it was very funny, Or you though. could take that money and then, like, donate it to, like, you know. Yeah, a charity or something. Yeah. I know. I know. Okay. Uh, anyway, <laughs> what's your relationship with your higher power like? Oh man, I had a oh, man. There's uh, so my aunt is uh, she is she struggles with recovery. Mm-hmm. Um, she's in and out of the rooms. And last night she uh, she she are actually this even started two days ago. She had a conversation with Christine because she's like she's one of those who really. I mean, I was too who really fought the concept of a higher power. Like I was like, can't tell me to believe in God. Fuck you. Here's the thing: you don't need to have one. Not no. like a. God, higher power. You can have like a conceptual yeah. higher power. Christine kind of broke it down. She's like, our, you know, my really, Christine says, like, my religion is art and like the, yes. the, the muse is the higher power. And yes. so my, my aunt posted this thing about that kind of coming to that realization and, and her struggle with like believing in a deity. Um, and I, you know, there's a song lyric. Um, that's like uh, that. It reminds me of like, when I think about it. It's a, uh, it's this uh, neutral milk hotel song. So you know that I'm condescending now. Um, but no, it's it's a lyric. It's like <laughs> no, you you just aged yourself. Well, you know, well, it's, people it's, know exactly the man yes. that you like. The, the like yeah, yeah. Thirty three. Yeah. Um, <laughs> it's a uh, it's this lyric. It's like uh, when we break, we all wait for our miracles. God is a place. Uh, it where some holy spectacle lies. When we break, we all wait for our miracles. God is a place you will wait for the rest of your life. And I was like, I just thought it was some fun shit to listen to when you were stoned as fuck. And I was like, this is trippy, bruh. But I, I think there's insight to that. Like there's this, we, I used to really hate the, I like the, I still am uncomfortable with the idea of God, capital G. Register trademark. Um, but I think like, what's up, Donnie? Oh my God, she's the best. Um, that's my higher power. <laughs> yeah, basically. Uh, I think, um, I think God is really good colloquialism that we all use. Yeah. That we, if you can't understand something or if you are powerless to something or if you are struggling with something or whatever, if you need some sort of very easy explanation to something to help settle your brain, you get to call it God. God did it. Or you get yeah. this rationalization that is this entity that's out of your control it's mm-hmm. how we accept it's how i think people accept um things that they are not in control of right they assign it to a deity mm-hmm. they assign it to it and you know i my relationship with a higher powers changed significantly uh, over the course of my like six years in recovery you went from being like an absolute like richard dawkins-esque Mm-hmm. atheist where I would like fight you in a parking lot over the non-existence of God um, or like say snippy things to make you feel stupid for believing in superstition and you know fuck man I don't know I would argue by the way that 
A, I don't know either. I just seek to experience my higher power. I don't know what it is. I do know that my higher power is a fucked up sense of humor. Sure. Um, I'll tell you a story when we're off pod that is going to make you laugh so hard. Um, and like my higher power just is a goof. And yeah. uh, that's all I know. The other thing I know is I just try to experience my higher yeah. power, whatever that is. And I, I don't think it is. I, I don't trust somebody whose idea of a higher power doesn't change and grow with them. Yeah. Well, that was something then in recovery that I didn't expect was I, Mm -hmm. I expected to have my sense of spirituality remain as anti-theist as possible. Yeah. We want Um, certainty. Yeah. Um, but I'm actually like, I'm okay with being uncertain. Yes, that is the serenity place. Yeah, like I just, I mean, I don't believe in God, um, at least not a conventional Judeo Christian or any other religion that I've ever come across has been a good explanation for why we exist, but it doesn't change the fact that we do. Yeah. And I don't need to cheapen it anymore by trying to explain it. Mm -hmm. Um, My relationship to surrender is probably something I would point to a higher power mm-hmm. as a higher power. Mm-hmm. Um, the thing that like allows me to take a moment to be like, this isn't me. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, but I also think like, I think that comes from out a lot of step work. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I, I still do a fuck ton of step work and I, I, I'm even weird and like kind of developed my own, not my own step work system, but like my own way of working steps where I kind of start to like, I got the idea actually, it's not even my idea. I got the idea from Russell Brand. Mm. Um, his book Recovery is, I talked about it, it in the last podcast it's good. I was on. It's I've read fucking it. great. Yeah, it's great. Um, it's a good audio book too because he yeah, narrates it. Yeah. 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 He just goes off script and just is Russell. Yeah. Um, I actually, I mean, I don't think he's a particularly funny comedian, but I do like him as like a good person. And I think his podcast is pretty good. Yeah. Um, but like, uh, He's sort of like the Dane Cook of like London. In a London way. Dane Cook. You know what I mean? Like he's like a fancy Dane Cook. He, like, Dane wears Cook a... with a monocle. Although I, I, my, my feelings have also changed on Dane Cook as well because I used to think he was a fucking hack, and then he was like, "Oh, I'm broke. I'm going to do Wednesday nights at the fucking at the, at the factory Laugh Factory." I actually forever. I, I'll tell you a Dane Cook story when we get off pod as well. Um, um, but yeah, so, like no shade on that. Also, the yeah, fact no that like Louis stole his jokes and then he went on Louis' show to talk about it. Yep. I was like, that guy has. Not a good brain, but there's something in between those ears that's like rocking around enough to be like, there's perspective and everything. Um, but you know, like fucking higher power, man. It's it's Dan Savage is uh, he Savage Love? Yes, cast. Savage Damn. Love, host of Savage Love. Shout out to Zach Noe Towers, who's been on our podcast, who just was on the Savage Love cast. Damn, and Sick. Melody Vesey, who's been on this podcast and who was on Married recently. Um, so who knows what you're going to be on after this? <laughs> uh, Dan Savage was getting interviewed by Ira Glass. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> We're old. And, uh, he, was, he was talking about, it made such an impression on me because it's, it, I, I couldn't find a really great way to identify how I feel about it until I heard Dan Savage talk about it. Um, so Dan Savage was talking about uh, his mother when she was dying. She was Catholic. I, there was a part of me that was like, so Dan Savage was talking about fisting. Yeah, and I was I like, yeah. He did talk about fisting in that interview. He did. That, it was a pretty wide-ranging interview. I wish I could have seen like Ira, Ira Glass's, Glass's face. Fucking, like, <laughs> oh. oh, 
God. Nope, Sorry. the podcast thing broke. Is it's it working fine. still? It's not broken. It's fine. It's still recording. It's still recording. <laughs> it <just> fell. <laughs> um, yeah. So Ira Glass was like, uh, his glasses went up five feet when he was talking about fisting. Before, <laughs> but uh, they were talking about his mother's relationship to religion and specifically to Catholicism. And he was talking about when his mother was dying, he saw like the the comfort that she received while receiving the sacrament for the last time. Yeah. And like how the fear of death was and the fear of being sick with, I think she had cancer was momentarily abated by understanding that, or at least thinking that she was in the presence of God. Mm -hmm. Um, and he, what he said was, if I was the type of person to believe in God, I would, but I'm not shit. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Which is, I was like, Yes, that's exactly how I feel about higher power. If I was the type of person who could like believe in a higher power of like of uh, like an omnipotent thing that wants good for me, I would, but I'm not. And I butt up against it very often because it's such a useful tool. Like when Dottie can't sleep mm-hmm. and she's fucking crying or like losing her mind, I pray. I say shit like Higher power, a thing that keeps me sober and keeps me fucking moving forward. I need your help making my daughter sleep. I don't believe in that shit. I don't, but I still do. It's a useful thing to do when you're out of control. Yeah. But I don't think I don't think that there's like a, like the universe is listening to me when I'm like, I want my daughter sleep. It's I, uh, that Nick Cave song, Into My Arms. Hmm. Yeah. I don't hmm. believe in an interventionist God, but if I did, I yeah. want them to hold you. Yeah. 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 Like that's, it's... I understand its utility in recovery, mm-hmm. especially in early recovery. But also, fuck it. I mean, like now that I have, like, I mean, I don't have a ton of time, but I have a little bit. Like, I like the utility of being able to just pass the responsibility of something off onto somebody else, even if that somebody isn't particularly real. Mm-hmm. Like, here, I can't hold space for this. Can you hold it? Yeah. And like, that's what it is. It's 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 a you know, God is a giant balloon full of all the things that scare you. Mm-hmm. And like God can hold all of those things because I don't want to. And mm-hmm. like, is it real? No, probably, maybe. But like, is the effect and the utility real? Absolutely. Yeah. I know that like when I am stressed out and like saying the Serenity Prayer, which I do all the fucking time. Yeah. Um, becomes a very clutch saying yeah, after for yeah. you when you're new in recovery, like you just say it, and then when you have a few years, you're like, God, or when you deal with like people in in the entertainment industry who are particularly there's there's a particular personality that is very pervasive in what we all do, mm-hmm. and when you aren't really of that personality, dealing with it is incredibly taxing. So what can you do? You fucking say to yourself, God grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change, the courage to change the things I can, and the wisdom to know the difference. Mm-hmm. I'm never going to fix this motherfucker. Yeah. <laughs> you know, like yeah. I'm never like, but that God holds, holds it, holds space. Mm-hmm. And the utility of that is invaluable to anything, but especially to recovery. Cause like, especially in young recovery, we're all carrying so much because you're not only carrying the monkey on your back that is shooting to open to the big vein in your cock, but it's also like you're carrying all your baggage that you hate your parents. You're carrying all the baggage of all of your friends who fucking did the same shit you did. And somehow you don't, you don't get the release. Mm-hmm. They all died and you have to be here with it. Mm-hmm. That weighs on me. Mm-hmm. I think of a lot of the people who I grew up with who are dead. 
Mm-hmm. And I'm like, why do they get it? Why do they get that? Why mm-hmm. do, and why do I get this? Mm-hmm. You know, I don't think about it as like a, like a fucking curse or whatever. It's not that dramatic, but it's like, I think about like, shit, Magoo died. My buddy Magoo died when he was 22. I'm 33. I own my own house. I own my own business. I do whatever the fuck I want. I have a beautiful daughter of a wife who loves me and understands me. I have friends who want me in their life. What the fuck did I do? Yeah. You know, um, but that those feelings that are not now feelings, you know what I mean? Like things that yeah. you can't process right now. Right. Being able to be like, it's in God's hands or like it's, you know, I do really like actually the God is a giant balloon full of all the things you can't deal with right now. I really just, I came up with that off the cuff and I, I want to just put it I on a t-shirt. literally in my mind <laughs> photoshopping that for promo for this. Yeah, like, like I was just like, mm-hmm, yeah, that's beautiful. Um, is that what you would tell somebody who's just like you in the world? Is that what you would tell somebody who's new? I don't know. Cause also when you're new, you're not fucking trying to hear, at least I wasn't trying to fucking hear anything. Yeah. Like I, all I wanted to do when I got, when I stopped using was I wanted my wife to not be mad at me. I wanted to put a couple days in a row where I could prove to myself that I didn't need it. And like, and when that passed, I wanted to keep my wife not mad at me and I didn't want to go through withdrawal ever again. And like, um, cause the, the, the kick is bananas. Like my, like getting sober, getting clean was, Oh God. <laughs> Staying clean it... is a breeze compared to not shaking and shitting yourself on that couch. Yeah. yeah that's the same couch. <laughs> same couch. That's the detox couch. Yeah. It's a good couch to, you yeah. know, have those feelings on. Um, you know, I, I, Yeah. So I, I don't know if I don't know how uh, how insightful that would be really to a newcomer. I also don't feel like a much my my advice is particularly useful to someone who doesn't have time. What would you tell somebody you just met who is brand new? Let's get coffee. Hey, that's like a better. You would listen. Yeah. Wow. Because like that's really what that's what I needed. I and I didn't even know I needed it. Moish. Uh, are he you know i i think i had like 47 days and i was a fucking maniac or yeah it was 47 days i know it for a fact he was like let's go to canters and he just listened to me be crazy yeah for hours that's why fellowship was important (laughs) is that's where you go to be crazy yeah yeah i was crazy next to marin that's didn't even judge me a little bit that's because he's equally crazy you know what he said Hmm. keep coming back brother Oh, I love that. I love that energy. All right. We did it. John, where can people find you and the things that you're doing? And um, um, just, yeah, all the things. Um, directly, you can find me at Jay Graves Mixes on Twitter and on Instagram. Um, the projects that I'm working on right now, you can find at NoFX on Instagram. <laughs> you can find... <laughs> At, uh, and also any, just go to the punk section of your record store. Yeah. He's had his, <laughs> he's had his, his fingerprints and pretty much everything that's been good in the last few years. The stuff. Yeah. Upcoming records that are coming out. Suicide machines, new record coming out. You can find here, there, you can also find them at suicide machines, music on uh, Instagram and then a bunch of other bands. Uh, Knockdown is a band from Stockton, California. I just produced a record for them that should be coming out in the next few months. Um, I only mentioned them because they are not as well known and I think they're a great band. I was just going to ask you, what's a list of bands that you would like people to, you know, since you have a platform and you have all this stuff, like who do you want our listeners to go out and listen to oh, right now? Oh man. Uh, Woolbright. Okay. They're from, 
um, Miami, Florida. They're awesome. I mixed their last record. Um, I can't say enough about that band. I think they're so well, good. Right. Their okay. singer Candace, she's like, she hosts her own like yoga stream on Tuesdays, uh, as well as like straight John. up just like ranting on on Twitch. She's great. John, she's, why haven't you told me about this person? She's great. Um, and her music is amazing. Um, I think uh, Woolbright's awesome. She he he is from Georgia. Are incredible. Um, Cold Rex from Brooklyn. Uh, are a band that I don't think enough people give a shit about, but they're like, if you want songs like that are straight honesty, like that, that band is just like the most earnest group of individuals. Um, I work with this band in, from Australia called Skeggs that is a bit bigger, but also very fun and awesome. Um, I'm trying to think of other like unsigned. Um, I'm about to start a project with Talker. Um, you can check her out on uh on spotify she has a song called summerlin that i think is like amazing yeah she's great um i just did a few songs with an artist called crooked teeth um if you're into like pop punk very like uh john feldman-esque um he that's a great artist to check out as well and also check out we are the union and all the bands that are on uh bad time records because um, bad time bad time records and this is someone who works for fat records all the time saying this bad time records is really the future of of where punk rock and ska punk and and diy is i think Yay! all the bands on that label are amazing amazing and the owners amazing as well amazing i love that i love it okay, okay. uh how we end this podcast well thank you for having me on thank this you podcast. for doing I've been I am so glad that we get to share these are the kind of conversations that we have while laughing and joking and doing other stuff and I'm so glad that we got to share this with people because I mean you're just there's a lot less there's a lot less blank spanglish though yeah it was a bit more spanglish but yeah 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 a lot more cursing usually we were we were remarkably adult and subdued yeah. Like the vibe. I'm very tired. I feel like, yeah, I feel like, well, yeah. And you almost lost a finger today. I feel like this is like the, our national album right now. Like yeah. it's very, it's like, it's like well, I, gather I, around. I, I, it's very rare for me that I get to like reflect on the last six years of recovery in a meaningful way that are more than just a fleeting moment. Cause I'm generally pulled in a lot of directions. So like, I really liked the opportunity to like really dig in and be like, let's see what, I've garnered if there's anything worth it for anybody else. It, you know, it, I, I think like, you know, you inspire me all the time. Oh gosh. No, I'm serious. Girl, you're funnier than me. <laughs> Barely. Um, and, but also like just that, like when I have those dark moments and I think, where is this going? What am I doing? When I have my, like, how did we get here? Like, you mm-hmm. know, and I, I, you know, I think of, I think of this beautiful DIY life that you've built for yourself. And I'm like, it is possible. I don't have to, I don't, I don't have to sell my soul. Thank you, Latterman. Latterman is the reason why I do this all. Aww. Saw them in my high school cafeteria. Changed my entire fucking life. Oh my God, I love and that. And they were a DIY punk band. And they are also one of the most influential punk bands of all time. And they went to my high school. Oh my God, I love that. Yeah, they are all of my ethos. All of it comes from that band. Love it. And no effects, but... I don't want to give them all the credit. I'm in that band now and it's weird. <laughs> <laughs> well, John, how we end this podcast every time is if nobody's told you this today, I love you. I love you too, Anna V. Thank you for having me here. Thank you for coming to my house and doing it here because I can't wait. This is the first in-person one I've done in a very long time. It's because we're in the, the each other's bubble though. We're in the bubble. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I just want to say that we're in a bubble. Uh, I Literally, my community college tests me once a week now. So, uh, yeah. I get tested every week because of 
being in a band. So, yeah, but yeah. the yeah, yeah, we're both not idiots. So, <sighs> oh man, I'll tell you after the podcast. Anyway, uh, <laughs> but um, yeah, and if you're listening to this and nobody's told you this today, we love you. And also look up all those bands. Music's important to your recovery. Okay, art is recorded important to recovery. Yes, go to a museum. Self-expression is real. I love it. Okay, bye.